Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host Michael Lathrop. Hello football fans. This is episode 68, 2023 Week 3 Recap and Week 4 Preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Week 3 provided plenty of action and excitement. We have another solid show of game reviews and previews with contributor Mark Hallback, as well as two guests. Later in the show, XFL board founder and XFL Extra podcast host Mark Nelson joins the show to discuss the XFL situation with the Orlando Guardians and Quinton Dormady. I am also joined by football guru Greg James to discuss the XFL, his analysis and viewpoint of the league's third iteration. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On March 4th, the Vegas Vipers hosted the Seattle Sea Dragons. The Sea Dragons defeated the Vipers 30-26. Then, on March 5th, the D.C. Defenders hosted the St. Louis Battlehawks, with the Defenders defeating the Battlehawks 34-28. Also on March 5th, the Arlington Renegades hosted the Orlando Guardians, with the Renegades defeating the Guardians 10-9. Also on March 5th, the Houston Roughnecks hosted the San Antonio Brahmas, with the Roughnecks defeating the Brahmas 22-13. Then, on March 6th, the XFL Communications Department announced multiple trades. First, a three-way trade involving the Arlington Renegades, D.C. Defenders, and Orlando Guardians. The Arlington Renegades received wide receiver Javonta Payton from Orlando, the D.C. Defenders received tight end Alex Ellis from Arlington, and the Orlando Guardians received offensive lineman T.J. Sormant from D.C. The second trade was between the D.C. Defenders and Vegas Vipers. The D.C. Defenders received offensive lineman Antonio Garcia and the Vegas Vipers received defensive back Joshua Allen. Also on March 6th, the XFL announced the Orlando Guardians signed quarterback Quinton Flowers. Then, on March 7th, XFL President Russ Brandon issued suspensions and fines for player safety rule violations during March 15th's St. Louis Battlehawks versus D.C. Defenders game. The following suspensions, Francis Bernard, two games, and Gabe Wright, one game, of the D.C. Defenders, and Jared Jones-Smith, two games of the St. Louis Battlehawks, have been suspended for involvement in an on-field altercation. During the suspension, players may not practice with their team, but may attend team meetings, workouts, and meals. Additional violations of the rules or any other league policy may lead to more severe disciplinary action, up to and including termination. Additionally, the following players and coaches have been fined for their actions during the on-field altercations. Cornerback Athua Kelly, Linebacker Jamal Brooks, offensive lineman Rod Taylor, and coach Jeremy Watkins. 
of the St. Louis Battlehawks, defensive back Nate Meters, linebacker Travis Feeney, running back Brian Hill, and coach Tory Woodbury. As usual, contributor Mark Hallback returns to review the Week 3 games and preview upcoming matchups. Welcome back, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show once again to discuss the XFL Week 3 games and hopefully preview this upcoming weekend's games as well. Well, Michael, always glad to be back. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking more football. Always enjoying this. Yeah, let's get to it. Dive right into game one. The Seattle Sea Dragons at the Vegas Vipers with the Seattle Dragons winning 30 to 26. We'll blow over it. Cashman is Cashman. All right. We had some different weather with the wind, but Cashman is Cashman. So I'm not going to continue to focus on the venue. We're here to talk about the football, and I believe that's exactly what we're going to do. So football-wise, this was a great game. This was an amazing game. We did kind of take our, our shots at Cashman Field last week. And, you know, again, they had a little bit of weather out there with the wind gusts and the wind uh, there. But you know what? The players went out and, and played, went out and coached. And it was a, it was a very entertaining game. We're definitely going to talk about some of the things that were done in this game, especially um, quarterback play and and a little bit more also with June Jones in the running game. A little. Wind typically changes teams' approach, right? Usually the ball loses its air a little bit, right? Even though there's wind in the air, the ball loses the air. But however, 56 total points scored. Yeah, I give credit to to both of these quarterbacks. They did a great job. Brett Hundley getting the first start played very well for his first start. I mean, his his numbers aren't all that eye-catching. I mean, he didn't turn the ball over uh, when it came to interceptions or fumbles. I mean, they played a pretty clean game there with the Vipers. And he made some plays. You know, he made some plays with his legs. And you can see why, you know, they wanted him. Um, He can definitely make plays out of the pocket off rhythm. Uh, which we saw early on and, you know, taking advantage of the Danucci fumble. He really played well. Um, I think he got kind of hung up though a little bit to see how he's feeling this week. I think he may have tweaked the hamstring there on one of the, you know, scrambles or running plays, you know, later in the game, he was not as mobile as he was, you know, for his first game coming out, you know, the winds coming at you, he, he played well. And, that's what they, the Vipers couldn't, couldn't have asked him to do much more than that. Now, Danucci, on the other hand, you know, started off rough. I mean, the first series, you were like, oh, God, here we go. What's Ben got in store for us tonight? But he regrouped and had a phenomenal game. And so far, I would say, the obviously, the game of the year for a quarterback. 29 for 37, 377 okay. yards and four touchdowns. He did have an interception. So they did have a couple of turnovers that they were over to overcome. Okay. And the reason they were able to overcome that was getting the ball downfield. We saw Danucci be able to do that going both ways too, into the wind and, and with the wind. And then also in the running game with Morgan Ellison playing really well. So I really liked what June Jones did in the running game. He would, uh, the one particular play that I really like is he takes the guard and kind of just, you know, they're in 10 personnel, four wide, uh, one back, 
and he takes the guard and pulls it and kicks out the the defensive end who's used to rushing the quarterback. And you get a big hole if you if you conceal that. And they were able to do that quite a bit. So June Jones making the most of what he's got on the offensive line there. So I mean, great game overall, you know, offensively for them. And obviously Josh Gordon coming up making some some huge plays for them and you know, sealing the game with one heck of a catch. His body control on that was amazing. As a wide receiver coach, you teach that, but he came down with the ball and then was able to obviously break a couple tackles and almost backpedal in, really uh, seal the game here for for Seattle. You know, when it comes to Vegas, you got to feel for them. They're, They're playing hard. They're doing the right things. They played a clean game. They didn't turn the ball over. They just gave up some big plays. And... You know, that's a credit to Seattle. Now, big plays themselves as well. You can't ask for Jeff Bidette to do more than what he's doing. He is having a heck of a year and putting his name on the map. They're going to continue to uh, improve here a little bit, uh, you know, with this. And they just got to put together a whole game. And unfortunately, they they weren't able to do that. Too many big plays on the other side by by Danucci and, and June Jones and and Gordon and Allison and really put them into that. So, but a great game way to start off the, you know, Saturday night, the the one game on Saturday night, it was a heck of a game to watch and show. I was very pleased with it. You look at Sin City, we know all the casinos, the gambling, but it's full of entertainment. And they delivered the fireworks. I think this game delivered on every level. Right. And we could talk about a couple of negatives here and there, but that's you got to focus on what the game was. Overly, it was positive. I mean, you had mentioned Danucci going 29 to 37, 377 yards, four touchdowns. Josh Gordon, you had mentioned how he just was phenomenal. He had 118 yards on six receptions, two touchdowns. Jacor Pearson had 99 yards on seven receptions. Morgan Ellison had 103 yards on 17 carries. I mean, then heck, if you flip it back over to the Vipers, like you had mentioned, Hundley did pretty well. I mean, he had just shy of 300 total yards between passing and uh, rushing, and he still had three touchdowns. I could keep going down and down, and that's the whole purpose, but they delivered. This game delivered the fireworks, and this is what we had been waiting. You know, everyone was aware that it takes a week or two to get some things rolling. Teams have to kind of get that chemistry built in, and, you know, especially these new coaching staffs have to kind of pull it together. There's nothing that is brought over from the year before. Everything's new. So this week, and we'll get into the other games, we saw that for the most part. We saw that. I can't see how anyone wasn't happy. Maybe if you're a Vipers fan, senior team going 0-3, you're not happy. But, I mean, as far as the product on the field, the football being played, this is what the XFL wants. This is what the Walt Disney family of networks wants. This is the product that we have craved and this is what we got. So it's awesome. Yeah. Michael, along with, you know, the cohesion of a team, right. And getting to know each other a little bit also comes having some game film and being able to game plan, you know, offensively and defensively for your opponent. And especially offensively, I think early on, you're kind of just running your base plays, but now you're putting in specific plays to beat specific defenses because you've got film on them. 
you understand, you know, maybe who the wink, the weak links are a little bit more because you've got film on players. So, you know, that adds to the, to the scoring going up as well. And like you said, this, this game delivered for sure to start off the week, which was a, which was a great week of football. When it checks all the boxes, it's a great thing. So we'll move right on to game two. And in game two, we had the St. Louis Battlehawks at the D.C. Defenders. The battle of the unbeatens, but only one would remain standing. And we had the Defenders winning at 34-28. to 28. This is the first game of a triple header on a Sunday. We had our buffet all lined up one game after another. Great day for football fans. And they kicked things off with another high-scoring affair, which is great, 62 total points. Scoreboard wasn't the only fireworks again. You know, there was plenty of hot heads late in the game, which did lead to three ejections. So we won't get into that too much, but there was a lot of, again, passion one way or another, right? We keep talking about some of the teams that seem to have it, whether it's good, it's bad, depending on the situation. But this is what we need in a league a little bit, to some extent, passion. Not necessarily too hot of heads, but we get into the football here. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. I mean, you know, that played a role later on in the game and, but it was, it was two teams, you know, really battling and, you know, we get to see this in a, in a couple of weeks here too, again. So it's going to be um, good to see a rivalry start to develop in here without having to even, you know, give it a nickname. So that's what I really liked, uh, you know, about that. You know, the only thing about the pushing and shoving, okay, I've seen it. I've been involved in it. It can get ugly. You want to stop it before it does get ugly. There are people down there that, you know, there are safety issues, right? It's not just about the players and the aesthetics. You know, referees are, you know, breaking this up. And a lot of times if I'm a ref, I'm going to walk away from something if it gets too escalated, if I feel am I, you know, I'm in danger. Coaches are down there. Staffs are down there. So I just want them to keep in mind a little bit more than, Hey, yeah, the pushing and shoving is a great rivalry, but Hey, there's other people around you. So let's be cognitive of that. And and let's respect that the game a little bit with that. So we'll get right back into some of these fireworks. I'll take a look at, you know, a league favorite kind of a poster player for the league, obviously an AJ McCarron. And he actually didn't do too bad. I think he did well. I know some people are, you know, I saw one guy goes, oh, he's trash. He's garbage. I'm like, hold on here, man. Hold, just hold, hold on. 26 of 42, 262 yards. I know the yardage doesn't sound crazy, but you got to keep in mind, up-tempo, things are just rocking a certain way. So a lot of the time's constantly just eating up. So you don't have as much time when you actually think about to play because it's, it's constantly four touchdowns, two interceptions. He's a veteran quarterback, but the touchdowns typically outweigh those turnovers, typically. That connection with him and Butler, wow, it's great to see. It really is. I mean, Butler had another 105 yards and another touchdown. It's just it's great to see that stuff. So when I look on the Battlehawks, it's also the issue is, okay, the Achilles heel. You can't turn the ball over, right? So when you talk about four touchdowns, two but then you got to look over on the flip side. It's the lost fumbles. So when you turn over the ball four times, that's where you start to run into your issues. 
Yeah, Michael, it, it is definitely, it's hard to overcome turnovers. And part of the way to overcome turnovers, you saw Seattle do it, is by getting explosive play. And, you know, the Battlehawks will get some of that, but then they, you know, then also they will also have their times where the offense, you're, you're kind of like, well, what are they doing here a little bit? What I liked about this game is special teams came into play really big time into this. Coaches are starting to get a little creative on the kickoff. I'm liking it. Uh, you're seeing some people pull some people and kind of try and trap some people running down. <laughs> so it's good to see that. You know, Darius Shepard, I kept thinking this name sounded so familiar to me. Of course, you know, he, he was on the Packers, had a heck of a game, and he showed that in that as well, keeping the field position for the Battlehawks. AJ, you know, he had a he had a solid game. The four touchdowns is great. If you're throwing over 250 in this league, I thought that's a really good game. So Ben DiNucci throwing for 377 is outstanding they just couldn't overcome these turnovers and take advantage. And I think that gives credit to the defenders, right? Their defense is going to be one of the toughest. They are always going to play with a lot of enthusiasm and they're going to, you know, sometimes they're a, you know, make it or break it type defense, but they really come out and play hard. And when it came to the situations that they needed to get a stop, they were able to do that. Now, late in the game, again, I thought, you know, we were going to see the A.J. McCarron heroics again. Um, I thought people thought the game was a little done a little earlier than think, you think it is. It is not in the XFL. These games are not done until they hit zero. It's not like the NFL where you can kneel on the ball at two-minute mark. You can't do that in this league. And people are finding that out here a little bit. It's a little harder to, to end the game. I give the defenders credit. They came out and pushed the ball down the field. Jordan had a nice deep throw to get them into you know scoring range right away. They were able to definitely keep things going in that regard. I thought Jordan had a he had the game that Jordan is going to have. You know, just a little bit over fifty. You know, fifty percent. I think it might be fifty-five. You know, almost two hundred yards and a touchdown, but then also you know had a few yards rushing. And, you know, I thought the running backs did a really good job for the defenders. They're one team that seems to be able to run the ball effectively because they have the quarterback threat to it, right? So they're consistent with the running attack. And Smith, I thought Armstead was going to get benched, you know, after the second fumble there, uh, after, you know, back-to-back series. I was happy that they went back to him after he fumble. Like, I like to give, a, you know, but then he fumbled it again. I was like, I think he might be sitting down, but he didn't. And he completed the game. DC is very opportunistic is, is the way I want to put it. If you put them in good field position, they're going to score. If they get a big play, they score. You know, they get the pick six with uh, Michael Joseph, who's got two pick sixes this year, three interceptions. He's playing outstanding around the ball. You got you to love seeing that. And you know what was great about this, Michael, was it was a great atmosphere. And Audi Field... I would love to see a game there because you're kind of right on top of it. Now, I don't know if I can sit, you know, st- the standing room only and, and do the beer snake or anything like that, but I could, I could definitely sit, you know, there. I feel like it'd be, you can't have a bad seat in the house there. And their crowd came to play and um, the beer snake came out. It was wonderful. Um, I think um, it was what the XFL needed at a 12 o'clock slot on a Sunday before two other games. 
So I really, you know, I commend the, them for playing a, you know, the defenders playing a complete game and being able to bring out the win and be able to really shut end the game. And, you know, but it, I thought AJ was going to do it again for a second there. I was like, you guys can't count them out. Like you gave him the ball back, he scored. And I was just like fourth and 15 and they got it. You know what I mean? So it was just like crazy. You just can't, you can't count people out in this league. And that was great. It showed off some of the the new rules too, right? The conversions, you know, completing the the conversions more this week, right? Because now you got special plays for it instead of just kind of running a base play. So it was good to see. I mean, it was a great game, a great atmosphere, looked and sounded great on TV. So I look at the defenders, clearly 3-0, top of the North Division. We have discussed where you've shared, really, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And I'm not saying that De'Ara King actually throws the ball a lot, but just the fact that he comes in for series is, you know, enough if you think about where that can disrupt somebody. When we look at Tiamu from 2020 when he played with the Battle Hawks, if I recall correctly, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but I think he was a very high percentage completion guy. I think he was right around that 70% mark. I think he was like kind of really coming into his own. When we look at him now in 2023, he's not the same version of himself. And that might be because of the, the dual quarterback thing to some extent. And it might not be, but the fact that this defense is really carrying them, they don't have to have a whole lot coming out of the quarterback position if you're getting a lot of pick sixes, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? That helps with putting points on the board. It doesn't have to necessarily come from the offense. But when you kind of just look, you know, they only had 210 passing yards and 196 that came from Damu, but he's just over the 50% mark, not quite closer to that 70% mark. So the, there is a significant shift in him. And I, I thought we'd kind of see this system being a little bit better for him or more tailored to him compared to what we saw in the USFL with him with the bandits under Haley. But, you know, it's just, it's, I'm looking at where opportunity is because if they're three and all and Ta'amu can actually progressing towards that old player, this is going to be a very dangerous team. I mean, it's already dangerous at three and oh, but if the offense somehow in time, we can kind of get back into his old self that I would just say, this could literally be the front runner. If this offensive production can get rolling, because we already know the other front runner in the other division, they're putting up points. They've got a, a lot of offensive production. They don't have a bad defense either, but this offense isn't rolling yet. So I, I'm intrigued of what could come. Absolutely. I think you you point out something great. We may not have seen, you know, this year, Jordan's best game, and they're 3-0. So when he does put together a game, you know, if he does, right, but we think he can. I think uh, from what we've seen previously running an offense like this, we think he can. You're right. I mean, he may have a game where he carries them. And it's exciting to think about that if, you, if you're a Defenders fan, right? You're hoping the progression is upwards with him. And, Michael, it's always like I said, though, right? It's better to get hot late than it is hot early. So if he gets hot late and maybe they have or two on defense, they need to score a few more points. Maybe we haven't seen, you know, all the production we need to see out of him. He gets hot late. He can carry them to a couple of wins. And that's what you need your quarterback to do. 
But yeah, I, I think uh, if I was a Defenders fan, I would be ecstatic because your quarterback hasn't played his best game yet. And we're anticipating that's going to come at some point then. It could also be by design. I'm not saying that he's not completing passes by design. What I'm trying to say is it could be part of the offensive game plan right now is that they're kind of holding cards closer to their chest because it is early enough in the season and they haven't quite released the rest of the playbook, right? They might have more to, so to speak, unveil as the season goes on, but it's smart because as people are game planning, they're only going to game plan for what they see. And so again, I'm not saying he is going to hit 2020, but uh, I'm definitely going to watch for it, and I'm not going to rule it out. So this defenders team is going to be very intriguing to watch. Absolutely. I think, you know, right now being 3-0 in a 10-game season, though, you've got a head start, right? Some other teams, you know, Seattle's got a little work to do. But, uh, you know, we're going to find out, you know, in the next couple weeks. They've got to go on the road. And play a couple tough games, and, and we'll see how that goes uh, for them. Let's move on to game three, the Orlando Guardians at Arlington Renegades, with the Renegades winning 10-9. to nine. I must say, last week you mentioned that 12 points would likely win this matchup, and apparently cracking the double digits was enough for this outing. I believe there is a saying, which is interesting, those that strike first usually win. Well, scoring first doesn't necessarily work for the Guardians. So I, w- I want to go over, if you would, wouldn't mind, just let me share a few statistics here. Okay. I find this intriguing. The Guardians won the following battles. Total plays. They had 60 to the Renegades 52. Total yards. They had 271 to the Renegades, 178. Average yards per play, Guardians had four and a half yards, where the Renegades had 3.4. First downs, Guardians had 18, to the Renegades, 14. Third down efficiency, close to equal, but the Guardians had 45 and a half, where the Renegades had 41.7. Fourth down efficiency, Guardians were at 50%. The Renegades at zero. Now, looking at most of the game's numbers and battles, the Guardians won most of them. However, this is where the Renegades won their key battles. Turnovers, they had none. Guardians had two. Penalties, Renegades had two. The Guardians had nine. Just goes to show that self-inflicted wounds can be detrimental. Absolutely, Michael. It's like uh, John Wooden used to say, team that makes the least amount of mistakes is you that wins. The Guardians, in my opinion, you know, outplayed the Renegades. I'm going to give the Guardians coaching staff some credit here. Number one, they fixed the communication issue that I felt was an issue. And the offense coordinator, Ford, was speaking directly to Paxton this time instead of going through Shane Matthews. Okay. So I was happy to see that the listening to the commentators. Now I'm not an XFL insider, you know, so I have to take what, you know, I feel the commentators have a little bit more inside knowledge than I do that the week was positive. Coach Buckley made it about being positive and being 
you know, he showed a highlight film of them making plays, showing them what they could do. Working on their offensive line, they brought in a left tackle that had two days with them. For having two days with them, he played. Let's just put it that way. Um, But they're trying to shore that up because I think they even just made a trade today to get another offensive tackle. There was a three-way trade. I don't know the details on it, but I know the Guardians got an offensive lineman out of it. So they're trying to address that issue. So I was very happy to hear that because I thought that this could go in a tailwind really quick with them because they got some players and they've got some guys on the outside. Um, You know, they got Latimer, they got Rambo, you know, they got some guys, Lenore now, they've got some guys that can make big plays. And I'm going to tell you this. Paxton Lynch almost willed this team to a win himself when he's the leading rusher with 43 yards and he went 19 of 31, you know, for 219, but they just couldn't finish. And when you got to play all of a sudden, then it, it was a, um, you know, penalty. And then there was a sack, you know, so they just kept, like you said, self-inflicting wounds here. They made too many mistakes, but they were still in the game. And they were still in the game at the end of it as well when they almost made, you know, a play that almost got them into field goal range. So I give this coaching staff credit because the Guardians played hard. Now, they might not have a lot of talent, but that's all you can ask for. And when you're a coach and you don't have a lot of now, they do have, they do have some talent, but their defense even showed up today. But then there's the argument. How bad are the Renegades on offense, too? But we'll get to that in a second. But it doesn't matter. They played hard. They took it personally. They were giving up 30 points a game. And they play, they had that goal line stand that was phenomenal. Okay. I felt, you know, the Renegades should have kicked the field goal there because points were precious. Like, just get the points. And we'll talk about the Renegades placing, you know, a, a, some of their play calling down there too. So I give Orlando a lot of credit. They came to play. They're trying to get better. They stuck with Paxton the whole game. Okay. They didn't pull him out because they knew that one play could make the difference, right? So if you're giving four or five plays away to somebody on a series, that could have been the difference in the game. So again, I think you see Paxton playing really well. Thank God he didn't get hurt. You know, he did take a lot of shots, but he's a big guy. He he can absorb some of that stuff. So I give that coaching staff and that franchise right now a lot of credit because that team played hard on Saturday for them. And, you know, I picked them. I thought they were going to win. And I was, I was rooting for them, obviously, then. But, you know, they, they just came up short. So, but when you go to the flip side of it with Arlington, I think you're going to see Chuck Long calling plays here shortly. Jonathan Hayes, he may have a great head coaching mindset, right, where he did with the Battle Hawks. But his play calling and what they're doing right now in offense is is just, it's terrible. I mean, to say the least, and everybody knows it. You got Kyle Sloter that made a couple of plays downfield. At least he was able to push the play downfield. And that basically is what won the game is you had a, a guy that was able to, to throw a, a dart and score a touchdown there on a play that they haven't been throwing the last couple of weeks. They need to find out what their offensive line is capable. They're trying to play bully ball, but they don't have the people to play it with. And and what I mean by bully ball is they're trying to push people around. 
the goal line sequence will show you that they, they tried to just ram it straight up the middle two, three times and got stopped and, and actually went backwards. So you got to get a little bit more creative then down there. And he's got to get a little bit more creative on what they're doing because if you don't know what your offensive line is good at, sometimes they might be better pass blockers than what they are run blockers. And they're running a lot of zone concepts as well, which means you have to, you have to move people, you know, there's different ways to run it, but you you pretty much have to move people. And it's hard when you're trying to move big bodies and you don't have it. Whereas if you, you know, look at June Jones, June Jones is using traps and the defenders are using, you know, the, the quarterback, the RPOs and things like that in the quarterback runs. So there are other things to, to do there. And I think the renegades really need to look at that because I don't think they're going to be in the mix very long. If they don't, they need to start scoring some points. I know their defense is pretty solid, but that's going to give way soon when they play a good offensive team. So I wouldn't, I would suspect that sooner or later, you know, they're the only team that has co-offense coordinators. Well, you know, something's not clicking with one, you go to the other one and Chuck Long called plays in for St. Louis, you know, Jonathan Hayes didn't call plays when in 2020, right? And I'm in his career, but right now it's just not clicking. And they they haven't figured out what they are and what they can do well. They're trying to force the offense into their players instead of figuring out what their players are and then developing an offense out of that. And sometimes it takes different types of just to do that. And I think they'll get it. I think Stoops and Hayes and Chuck Long, I think they're too smart not to figure it out. But I think it's just taking them maybe another extra week or two. I thought they they thought they could push Orlando around and they realized, okay, yeah, these are professional football players too that are getting paid. So they want to win as well. So, but give Orlando credit and the conversion was the difference. So I mean, uh you got to make your conversions and, and you'll see differences in win and win loss there. I'm going to make a comparison back in 2020, the Tampa Bay Vipers going into the season before they kicked off. A lot of people thought very highly of them. And when the Vipers actually got started, they weren't quite living up to the expectations that a lot of people had set whether it was analyst, whoever, everyone was like, okay, they're not looking that good. Murray wasn't the guy. Well, Cornelius played himself into actually performing pretty freaking phenomenal for the Vipers. And had that season went beyond five weeks, I think the Vipers are going to play themselves in the mix. So why am I making this comparison? Drew Plitt didn't quite have this offense going either, right? They might be trying to figure out who they are, but they might have been waiting for Kyle Slaughter. And I'm not saying this game statistically is going to jump off the paper at anybody for what he did, but there's enough changing here with the team. The Renegades dropped Ford. They picked up Faro for running back. So this was his first game back. Yes, he was in with camp with him. Now he got Slaughter starting at quarterback. Could we be seeing a similar situation that we had saw back in 2020 with the Vipers. Will these guys be playing themselves into something? I had picked them to win the division. The Vipers kind of had that target put on them from the coming out of the preseason. So we might see something similar, but you're right. Offensive coordinator situations got to get figured out. But so don't these players. They got to kind of play themselves back into 
playing shape. So if you've been sitting on the bench for a little bit, but the good thing that we're seeing with this team is they're letting one quarterback do it. So if Plitt now has had his two games and he didn't quite live, maybe they're going to give two, three games down to Slaughter and see what he will kind of get into a rhythm. But being at two and one, they're in a better situation than the Vipers were in 2020. So they're not really out of it. They are sitting in the two slot. Yeah, they're definitely not out of it. It's just that, you know, if you're grading offensive line play right now, they're down towards the bottom. And I think part of that is scheme and some of its players. (laughs) Okay. Let's be honest. Usually it's a little bit of both. And I think they're trying, maybe they are trying to figure out who they are. Right. But in a sense, you got to figure that out quick. We talked about that in the preview. You better find out who you are pretty fast. And they're fortunate to be two and one right now. And in that, because yeah, if they do figure it out, because they do, you know, they do have experienced coaches on that staff. If they do figure it out. They could make a run late. And again, like, you know, I'll say it again. If they get hot late, they can make a run. So yeah, you got a great point there, but I just think sooner or later, if the points aren't getting on the board, you know, the first change you got to make is is the the person calling the sequences. You know, they already made the change at quarterback, and I feel I feel they're doing the right thing with Slaughter just because he can push the ball down the field more. You you saw that more this weekend, right? I told you we need to push the ball down the field. We need guys who can do that so we can score some points, and these games will be better. So, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in. All right, we'll move right on to game four. San Antonio Brahmas at the. Houston Roughnecks with the Roughnecks winning 22 to 13. They couldn't crack the 30 point mark. So, you know, they're not super unbelievable, but the Roughnecks did run away with this game early. Jack Cohen did not look like the Jack Cohen we have seen in previous weeks at week one and two. Silvers and company are proving that they are the team to beat, not only in the South Division, but likely in the XFL. I know the Brahmas got themselves back into it. They had a possession and perhaps even an opportunity to score in the end, but the Roughnecks essentially controlled things from the beginning. So what are your takes from this game? Well, the, the score was a lot closer than what the game was. You know, True. the Brahmas are are lucky that, you know, they we're nine points down and, and one, you know, score and a conversion away from just tying it and have opportunity, you know, in the fourth, because, their their defense tightened up quite a bit in the, the second half, uh, you know, not giving up any scores, right? Um, you know, shutting Houston out. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, Brandon Silvers, again, uh, I'm going to go back and, and tell everybody what we what I said during the preview episode that with this offense being with A.J. Smith and with the offense he ran in college in Troy, they were going to be similar and he was going to have a pretty good year. And I, I even put him up there for an MVP candidate yet. Now, Ben DiNucci keeps playing the way he is and they Seattle wins. And then that's the case. But at this point in time, Brandon Silvers can be in that conversation, I think. And people are like, well, where did this Brandon Silvers, this Brandon Silvers has always been here. Okay. But he got into the right system. And I told you if he did, and they let him sling it. He was going to sling it. And they did. And they did last night. He pushed the ball downfield. He can make every throw. He can make the quick screen throws. He gets the ball out quick. 
He knows this offense inside and out. I know he did have the one interception, but sometimes you're just going to deal with that. But again, they that number one, their defense is, is very stout. And number two, he can explosive plays. The other thing too, is Kirkland is playing himself into onto an NFL roster. So I hope he continues that. And I, I hope he stays healthy. Okay. Because he, we will see him playing Sundays. I think if he continues this pace, he's done a great job. They spread the ball around pretty good. I mean, Kirkland only had six receptions, but two of them were for touchdowns. And, you know, he had, had a big play, but you know, then there's, they had a couple other players on the outside make make some big plays as well. So, like I told you, they, they were in week two. The, the offenses were tapped middle of the field because the middle of the field was open because everybody's worried about these screens. Well, now everybody was worried about the middle of the field on defense. So now you saw some plays being made on the outside. So you see how things kind of go a little bit in the, in the professional leagues here, especially when there's only you know eight it's easy to pick up on this stuff when there's four games a weekend and you can watch all four, you know? So when there's 16 games on a weekend, it's hard to watch all of them and do that. Um, I wish I had that job, but I don't. So, so I'll stick with the four that we have this week, but yeah, their, their defense is playing lights out. That defensive line is by far the best in the league. And, you know, if silver's sputters a little bit, they can still win games by dealing with that. Uh, Cone just did not look comfortable at all. He had about, it had to be at least four or five throws that he just threw into the ground because either they were screenplays or somebody completely missed a blitz coming. They got to figure that out up front a little bit. He just, he's got to be comfortable back there. He's the type of player that, yeah, he can make an off script play here and there. But he needs to be in rhythm. He needs to be able to do that. And in order to do that, you got to be up front. And when things aren't going right early, you get a little frustrated. And then, you know, the old term, you start seeing ghosts a little bit. You start rushing the ball out. And he just he just could not do that. And the rushing game, you know, it's somewhat there, but it's not all the way there. Because, again, they're trying to play a little bit of bully ball in working at this time right now okay uh, defensive lines are too far ahead to be able to run the inside zone and things like that so what i would have done what i would have liked to have seen with jack was to probably settle him down with some quick you know screens to the outside a little bit just like you would with brandon silvers or Danucci, right Danucci's got a high completion percentage because you know he gets four or five throws that are just out to the receiver real quick you know, Cone, just to kind of get the get people running sideline to sideline on the defense so that you can do that. But the Roughnecks completely own this game from start to finish. You know, I think at one point maybe, you know, the the Brahmas may have scored early on and you thought, okay, we're gonna have this great game. And then the Roughnecks just said, No, we're we're done here. <laughs> we're gonna you know, and um and Silvers, you know, was able to get a couple quick strikes and so I'm really looking forward to seeing where Houston goes with this because I think they're on a roll. I think they've got some complimentary football going on with the offense and defense. And the Brahmas are a little bit, they still got to try and figure things out. So, and here's another note, Michael. Overall, you've got four head coaches in the league that have had some type of head coaching experience at college or pro. 
you've had four head coaches that have not had that experience from college and pro the four that are uh, their records are nine and three right now. The four that did not have experience are three and nine right now. So when these leagues pop up, it's important that you, you try and get, you know, those guys uh, that have had a little experience and understand how to do this. So a lot of these teams with the four head coaches that haven't really been head coaches at either the college or pro level, they're still learning themselves. Okay. And that's going to cost you a game or two and it's cost them a few. Um, So we'll see how that trends out um, as the year goes along. But I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to add that up. You see a bit of a trend there, uh, you know, that, uh, that these experienced head coaches have a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I would have anticipated that from the get-go, but, you know, I talked to a couple different people, whether it was guests or just other people that were pretty knowledgeable within football. And they're like, you know, it's just, you're a CEO. It's not as important as you would think. It's really going to come down to the people beneath, you know, they're just saying, because, you know, if you have the right offensive coordinators or, but when I still look at like coach Beck's team, first time offensive coordinator. So, I mean, the fact that their success well, I know you're shaking your head, but Emory Hunt was one of the guys that had been talked to us. Says it's not as big of a deal, and Emory Hunt is, you know, looked at as this football, you know, analyst for CBS, and in, in, he puts. So I'm just saying that's one of the guys that gets paid for his opinion. So I'm, I'm just, I'm saying that's one. You know, we don't quite get paid for ours. I, I'm not trying to put him on a pencil, but he kind of is because he works for CBS Sports. I'm just saying. But I mean, there's been some other people, and I'm like, okay, maybe I was putting too much weight into it. But I, I agreed with you. I thought we we're going to see those teams being better prepared and less coaching mistakes, you know, because when they say when there's penalties, you're not a disciplined team that comes back to coaching and stuff. So I tend to agree with you. And these numbers essentially reflect that. So, it, you know, if anything, this also supports what you've been saying and what I had initially thought. So, I mean, that. You know, as time goes on, maybe these rookie head coaches might, you know, kind of figure a few things out, especially like Coach Buckley. Seems like they made some progression. Before we go on, you might have something you want to say, but I, I also want to talk about something about with Jack Cohen. But go ahead. I, I don't want to run away from what I just said. So, yeah, just real quick, Michael. Uh, you know, being a head coach is different than doing anything else in your life. If you don't think it matters, go to work and, and, Think about who your boss is. And if you like your job and you like your boss, think about what it's like to not like it and and vice versa, right? So that's an important thing to to have. And I think experience sometimes helps that. Okay. Now there's at the professional level, I believe that at the college level, there's some things that can be done to make a first-time head coach really good, right? He gets a good roster. They can bring, they recruit people in professional. Sometimes you, you don't get as complete of a team as you think you are. And when you get promoted up to that, there are always things that you think that you would do until you got to make those decisions and they're on you. And now all of a sudden you're just like, oh, that's why that guy would make that decision. Or, hey, do I feel this is going to snowball if I make if I let this guy off on this? Is it going to snowball into something? Or is it just, eh, is that a myth too, right? So the people that have experience with it know 
right? They've made those mistakes and the people who don't, don't. I just, I think there's a little something to it. I could be completely wrong by the time the end of the year comes along. And if I am, I hope I am because I want all these records to even out so that we got great competitive play and the games at the end of the year mean something. Okay. But I just think that there's a little bit of an edge there. And I do, I do think it matters. Uh, it, there's, I'm a recruiter and a headhunter for a living. People don't come to me for people with no experience. They come to me with people for their experience, for their knowledge. And when they have that, then they can get the ball rolling right away with somebody. They don't come to me for entry level people. They can get that themselves and teach them that, but someone's got to teach them the things they want. So that's where my mindset is there. So to flip back here to Jack Cohen, he had this look about him that we had not seen. You said he wasn't quite himself, but it wasn't just in his play. Like there was a look when you saw his face. I know he's not an overly animated person, but there was a look in his eyes that I'm like, yeah, he he's out of it today. Like he, he's either rattled and he just can't get it back. Like there was just constantly a look. And when he took that one hit, he even turned. He's like, oh, that was a good hit. He's like, kept saying to the guy, that's a good hit. I'm like, dude, you're not even focusing back on to whatever. You just, you praise this guy like three times in a row. Like, that was a good hit. Oh, no, no, that was a really good hit, man. And he even smiling. I'm like, dude, you can't even, the game's on the line. You know, it's game time, man. So that look in that moment, I'm like, no wonder he only had 64 yards. And I'm not trying to take a shot at him. I'm like, he clearly was not himself that game. You know, and there, you never know what it is. Is it the game itself that kind of brought that moment out of him? You never know. You know, life happens. There's something off the field, but he was not himself. So am I going to hold this against him, you know, and, and say that this is a turning point? But, I mean, sometimes that happens with quarterbacks. I mean, it, it, did, did he just experience – like I said, I'm not saying it, but did he just experience something where – Maybe he doesn't quite progress from this moment. And this is a big leap, a big leap. And I'm acknowledging that, but I'm like, it just seemed really odd. What was going on? I don't know, but he was far from himself. Well, Jack Cohn's a rookie quarterback. We're talking about the only rookie right now, uh, you know, that has start that started this week, right? We, we had another rookie quarterback, Dallas that started as well. Jack, he's a rookie quarterback. This is his first professional action. And yeah, he probably, you know, just, you hate to see that because you want to be able to have that guy that is the same throughout the game, no matter what the score is, right? And is, is positive, but he, he kind of did get knocked out of his element a little bit early on. And that's when he started kind of throwing the ball. And it may have been a frustration level, but he doesn't show for, you know, he doesn't show his emotions all that much. Right. So what it reminded me when you talk about the look and the kind of the glassy eyes and things like that a little bit, I'm a longtime Packer fan and I had to deal, you know, I went through the Brett Favre years, which was phenomenal. But if you went through the Brett Favre years, every now and then he would have a game where he threw three or four picks and you would look at him on the sideline and he'd have that look, he'd have that glossed over and you'd be like, yep, not coming back today. We're done. And we were, you know, so I think he's a rookie quarterback and some guys go through that, you know, if they're struggling, they're, they're going to kind of go down and, and go up, you know, but let's see, let's see if he can bounce back and 
and come back from that. I hope, I hope so. I mean, I'm rooting for him being, you know, from Wisconsin and, and, and also being a little bit of a Notre Dame fan. I watched him play a lot of football, so I'm hoping he can bounce back from that. But we'll, like you said, that could be a potential issue come, moving forward. But we got to remember, kid's young. Kid is very young. All right, so we just wrapped up reviewing week three. If we got time, I'd like to move forward towards reviewing week four. You know, three weeks in, teams are showing exactly who they are. I mean, no, it's still a little premature, but you had said in week one, in week two, there comes a point where it's no longer too early. It's go time. And you had previously mentioned you thought it was about week four. So here we are looking at the week four matchups. These teams that are behind, it's go time. You got to get hot and you got to start getting hot now, right? Because five and five could be what keeps you in the hunt. But the reality is five and five might still not be good enough. So if you're 0-3, which we still have two teams, and one was you know, favored in some you know realms as to be a contender. So if that team's going to get it together, they're going to have to get it together now. So why don't we go ahead and take a look at the first game. We have the 3-0 and Houston Roughnecks at the 0-3 Orlando Guardians. Not the matchup probably the Guardians want for when it's go time. You know, so what are you anticipating here in the second leg of this divisional matchup? Well, first of all, this will be the first, you know, uh, away game for Houston, I believe. I think they played three straight at home. So it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, both teams travel. I get it. But it's a different stadium. It's a different feel. You have to go through a little bit of a different, um, daily, you know, game routine. But I don't think that's going to affect them. They're, they're just too good. I think what you're going to see here is early on, I think you see Orlando stick around and play hard. But they're just going to run out of gas. They're going to run out of steam. And Houston's just going to take control of the game. So, I, you know, unfortunately, I think the Guardians dropped down to 0-4. I think Houston goes to 4-0 and uh, continues to, to play well. But, you know, there's always that slight chance. It's professional football. So, but I think Houston can play, you know, not their best game and still win this. Whereas, Orlando has to play an air-free perfect game to even have a shot at the end. So definitely picking Houston here. We'll have to see what the line is on this. I'd be interested on that. I know we're not a gambling podcast, but interesting to see if this isn't in double digits, possibly, especially being on the road. But we'll see. We'll see what there. But Houston, I think they're, they're just too much for the Guardians to to handle. Yeah, the Guardians just don't average enough points. So it doesn't look good for them. This would be the one game that I advised advised the Guardians to play two quarterbacks so that Paxton Lynch doesn't take 20 hits. I'm dead serious. I would put Francois in a little bit and run him. I know I'm against it, but this is the one game I would do it just to take some pressure off of him. And but I would, you know, obviously this would be planned ahead and be like, hey, there may be time in the game where I just feel like you're taking too many shots. And I'm I'm going to put Francois in and have him run the ball or, you know, get back there and drop back too as well, because it's going to be hard otherwise. But the Guardians always have this quick running game early on and then they abandon it. And so if they stick with that, you know, if they have success early and stick with it, they might be able to shorten the game a little bit. 
and we'll see what happens. But this would be the only time that I'd advise running two quarterbacks out there, you know, give Francois or, or whoever the wreck is a, a series and just to save Paxton Lynch and his career. And hopefully he doesn't get hurt. Well, clearly Quentin Dormady on the reserve list by the league. So we know he won't be suiting up for the guardians probably for the remainder of the season due to that ongoing situation. But what's interesting is that Lynch was the only quarterback to play against the Renegades. Coach Buckley had actually went away from what he said his intention was to do all season was to play two. So I wonder if that means that Lynch is the guy. I think it has been determined and he knows he's now playing for his job because of maybe some of the other stuff that is brewing. He's got to make a decision. And we had talked about this when the season was kicking off, that he seemed to be the one guy that would actually start to change things if it had to happen. Well, he's in a situation where it has to happen. So his idea of playing two quarterbacks, I'm not saying he won't go back to it. just seems like he may have just changed that idea where he's like, okay, I need somebody. I need to start putting the eggs on this basket and show that this is my guy. This guy has the belief. This is his team. The players are going to rally behind him, whatever, so on and so forth. Well, here's the interesting piece. Matt Merschel or whatever from the Orlando Sentinel Tribune had tweeted out. The Orlando Guardians coach, Terrell Buckley, said the XFL is handling the situation with Quentin Dormady. Buckley also said he is signing another quarterback to join Paxton Lynch and DeAndre Francois. He said it is someone people will be very familiar with. So, if they're going to play a second quarterback, is it going to be the new quarterback? Because Francois clearly got taken out of the mix back in game three. I don't think it can be, uh, just due to time time frame and, and knowing the offense, right? I think that third quarterback, he'll be there their third quarterback for a few weeks. I know last, last week I, I said, and I was begging, keep Paxton in, let him go. He's, he's Paxton's your best chance to win the game. When the game is out of hand, get him out because this game could get out of hand and it could get out of hand early, or maybe they make a couple plays and Paxton makes a couple plays. Like I said, he's your best chance to win. I'm just saying for health reasons, if you want him to try and win some other games, this would be the time to play two quarterbacks just because of the fact that it would take a couple hits off of them. Because I, with that defensive line versus that offensive line, it could get ugly fast. Okay. So the Orlando, what they need to do is they need to, they need to run the ball early like they have, and they need to stick with that a little bit more. They, they seem to get rid of it and start just tossing the ball around, which is fine with me. I, I love that. But if you're picking up eight yards a pop, you know, keep picking up eight yards a pop, you know, so it'll be interesting, but I don't think a third quarterback this week, but maybe in a couple of weeks then, you know, Hey, if they're still winless and we got a familiar name on a roster, you know, maybe then the, the change is made there as well. And I'm not going to dwell on the quarterback thing too much, but I, the reason why I kind of wonder that is because Lynch only had two weeks before he started for the guardians. So they clearly didn't have this idea that somebody had to be too involved in the playbook and too much time, because if they bring back kid who was in training camp, they cut him fairly late. He'd be familiar with the playbook. 
I just don't know if that's very well known or, you know, you know, well known by everybody, but so it kind of makes you wonder they're in desperation mode. So this is kind of what got me to think that if he does go back to a second quarterback, how desperate are you? He's not just seen maybe enough out of DeAndre Francois because everything I had heard before the season started that he was actually going to be the guy and Lynch was going to be given every opportunity to win it. Well, DeAndre Francois out of three games only played part of one. So he clearly wasn't the guy and just lost it because somehow he, he hasn't really taken much snaps. So I just can't see that Francois is the guy. But again, I'm not in the team meetings. I'm not in the practices. So I, again, I don't want to dwell on the quarterbacks that much. Well, yeah, and and I could I could talk about this all day, but you know Paxton Lynch walks into camp, okay, and he makes a couple of throws, and you know nobody's looking, and all of a sudden they hear that smack, you know, and they're like, "What was that?" A, a noise they haven't heard all camp or haven't heard in a while, and then he makes another throw, and then he throws it here, and then you're like, "Oh, this guy can make every throw." Oh, he's six six, two hundred some pounds, you know. Some pounds, he's huge. Oh my God, that that that's a rifle this guy's got. Holy cow! That's how he became the starting quarterback. That's exactly how it. I've I've had it happen to me. I've had a transfer come in, and all of a sudden it was like we had two guys competing for the job. The guy threw. He came to his first practice. We went. Oh yeah, okay, yep. He's our. He's probably our starter. Let's let's get him. Let's get him. You know. Let's make sure he knows the playbook. Let's get him in. Let's teach the crap out of them, coach the hell out of them. But yeah, he's our best chance to win. So let's go. So that's what happened. I mean, or, or I'm speculating. I know I can joke around a little bit, but a yeah, lot of times that's what happens. You know, somebody comes in and they outperform, you know, and it doesn't matter. And that's why I'm kind of saying whoever this well-known guy is supposed to be, we'd have to see. I can't imagine and I'm speculating, is it like a Josh Rosen? Is it somebody like, you know, something like that, where if that happens, that could be enough to be like, well, all right, we now we brought in somebody that's actually, you know, marquee in way, like a high draft pick again, like Paxton Lynch was a first round. It's a guy that's kind of been around, well-known, and, you know, somebody that people expect to actually take that next step. So, again, that's just a name I'm throwing out there. I highly doubt that's who it is. So. Well, Michael, it's got to make the team better, right? Right. Like if you're bringing somebody in, it needs to bring the team better. Otherwise, just sign Mitch Kidd. He's the third quarterback and deal with the two you got. Now, so you got to bring somebody in that's going to make the team better or is going to create a buzz around the league so that the league gets some publicity. Fair. So we'll move right on with this game. So if I'm the Guardians and I win the coin toss, I'm deferring. I'm not going to receive the ball this time. Something's got you got to kind of change that up a little bit. It's going to be a late game, so you don't have to worry about your defense being out there in the heat and getting beat down early. I would just try something a little bit different, kind of shake it up. I know everyone kind of wants to get off to a good start, but obviously this team has scored first, and that good start hasn't quite worked. So maybe just kind of shake that up. It's not crazy analysis, but I think at some point you can't continue to do the same things. It's definition of insanity. You've got to start to do do something else, get them to play up one way or another. Uh, I think that was enough for talking about game two because we know who Houston is. I don't think we have to really talk about who Houston is. They are clearly 0-3. They are doing very well offensively, and heck, we know the defense is sound. So there's no real talk about what their game plan needs to be. They've already played the Guardians. They already know what they're up against. Clearly, things are working for them. 
So if we take a look at game two, we have the one and two San Antonio Brahmas at the one and two Seattle Sea Dragons. What do you anticipate for this matchup? Well, I hope I can stay up. Uh, late game for for a guy like me, but um, I, this is a this is an important game for both teams. Uh, you know, I mean, going two and two or or one and three is is a big difference here. I feel Seattle's got a little bit of an edge here. Number one, they're going to be playing at home. Okay. And I know it's the travel thing, but playing at home feels good. Okay. Having fans behind you cheering feels good. I think coming off that game, I think they, they build on that. I don't think if he has half the game that if Danucci has half the game that he had, I think Seattle can, can win this game. I think the, you know, the Brahmas again, trying to figure out really up front what they are on offense and another, again, a rookie quarterback kind of, you know, who took a couple shots. I just see this as, as Seattle winning. I think again, this goes back to Seattle can make some mistakes, right? Danucci can maybe throw a pick or two and he can still get the big plays to be able to you know, overcome that. Whereas San Antonio can't, they're going to have to play more of a perfect game to be able to win this. I thought Seattle was the best 0-2 team, you know, when we had the 0-2 teams. And I still think they're, they're, you know, going to definitely show that again this week and, and win two in a row here. They say once the genie is out of the bottle, it's tough to get the genie back in. And I think the Sea Dragons genie is out. I think it's been unleashed. I can't imagine that they take a step back this week. And just seeing the performance that the Brahmas had, despite it, the score looking close, I think Jack's going to have to bounce back to even make this competitive. I think he'll have a better game just because Seattle might not be as good defensively as Houston was. So I think his game will be better. It's just that, can he make enough big plays then? Can the running game make enough big plays to overcome the onslaught that you you may see with Danucci? Because Danucci's riding high right now. You know, everybody was kind of doubting him a little bit. And he, you know, and then the, honestly, he fumbled, <laughs> you know, like the first or second play of the game this week and then he came back and it was the dude it was his show and a little bit of luck went their way um i loved how you could hear june jones telling them to take that shot on fourth and two and they went you know it's the old adage you know it's about players uh when when it matters not plays so they went to the the big guy there and i think if he keeps rolling they've got other weapons too that can just you can't double everybody there and with their if their run games as good as it was, they're going to make too many explosive plays to be able to to keep up. And I don't think San Antonio is going to keep up offensively, even if they if you know even if they get a couple of big plays. So it's Seattle's game to lose. There's not a whole lot here that jumps at me either way. I just when you see the offensive production, it's not just a Danucci thing. It's also the running game looked really solid, right? When you're as a quarterback throwing for almost 400 yards, even if you have a turnover or two, 
I don't think that's really going to kill you when you're putting up that type of offense production. And then when your running game starts producing in that same manner, I just think they're they're definitely in the driver's seat. Yeah, the, the only thing I want to see him do here a little bit is uh, I want to see Seattle go for two instead of three a couple of times early on, just because I feel like they, they can rack up those points. Uh, just with the percentages that I saw early on, and I'm, I was hoping somebody would run this this week, what the conversion percentages are for the year. But it looks like the two points seems to be the highest at this point. And I think they can really, um, they can run it or throw it from the five-yard line. Uh, with that quick, you know, trap game that he that June Jones has got, and they can throw fades up to Josh Gordon and and find him, you know, easily. So I'd I'd like to see him just go for two. Now I know they've been going for three, and it's June Jones. Hey, we're gonna go for three. Let's see if they stick with it. But if they went for two, I think they they get off to a better start. They convert a little bit more. All right, we'll just move right on to game. Three, we have the two and one Arlington Renegades at the two and one St. Louis Battlehawks. I can't imagine. I'm just going to share my my take here out of the gate. I just can't imagine coming off that tough loss because they they still had a chance at the end. You know, it looked like the Battlehawks are coming from behind to now come in front of this amazing crowd that's going to be on hand because the 300 level is open and I've already seen people post people that are seem legitimate said that multiple sections have already sold out in the 300 level. I don't know if that means two or three. I don't know if that means five or six. I don't know, but multiple, this is going to be a solid crowd. This team now got the taste of defeat. They're going to go back to the drawing board, right? They're going to go back and analyze things. We just saw AJ McCarron in the post game questioning a couple of things where he said even refs came to them. They feel like they're doing things right, but they're going to still try to fine tune. I just can't imagine the Renegades are going to actually put up enough. The solid defense or not, that offense is going to really perform, I think, because I think the Battlehawks are going to come out and they're going to sling the ball. Well, I think the energy of the crowd is going to lift them early, uh, definitely. And if the crowd stays in it, it's going to, they'll be in it late and they'll be effective. If Arlington can take the crowd out early, you know, but that means you got to go up probably by two to three scores. I don't think that's happening. So this is the tale of two different two and one teams, right? They've kind of, you know, the Battlehawks kind of won a couple of, you know, fourth quarter games almost again pushed the defenders to the brink there as well at the end but I think they're too much for the renegades I just I don't think the renegades have it together now I think they have a defense that I think early on you'll see the ball move a little bit or early on you'll see them both struggle I'm I'm assuming this game's going to be more uh, you know kind of that 21 to 14 you know conversions are going to be super in this game. But I, I think Seattle's going to be riding that too much and that emotion's going to be too much. And when we see that, you know, obviously we're all waiting to see St. Louis come out and support the Battle Hawks. We've been waiting another three years. We want to see those attendance numbers, right? Because that's going to shoot it up and people will see that that this this can work then um, in markets like St. Louis, Orlando, 
Vegas, you know, uh, San Antonio. I'm really looking forward to it. But I think, yeah, I think the Battle Hawks are going to be too charged up. I think AJ gets over what he says. I think the coaching staff knows like, hey, we complained a little bit. Let's get over it. Let's move on. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, Does AJ have a point? He may. I think the quarterbacks are taking a couple too many shots to the head. We should be protecting them because if they go down, this league play goes down, right? It's just like the NFL. People don't pay money to go see Aaron Rodgers backup, right? We pay money to go see Aaron Rodgers. And that's the same thing in these leagues. They need the quarterbacks to be healthy because that's going to keep the scoring up. Because once you start getting down to your second and third quarterback, scoring starts to decrease. So does he have a little bit of a point? Maybe. Did he go about it the right way? Probably right. not. But you know what? He's he's a grown man. Anthony Beck's a grown man. They'll get over it and they'll they'll go for it. When it comes to the officiating, my biggest gripe, I think, and I think it's everybody's, is what's the point of having a challenge if, like, Dean, if you're looking at it, why do I got to challenge it? Like, why should I even have to waste a challenge on a play that's close? Just look at it. So I think there's a there's a new rule, right? And they're trying to kind of tweak that a little bit, but yet they want Dean to make sure that the close plays are looked at. Like, I think every turnover should be looked at. Okay. It should be obviously confirmed. You can either confirm it in the first five seconds or you can't, right? If it's a clear turnover, obviously, if it needs to be looked at a little bit longer, look at it. Turnovers are important. Okay. Same thing with touchdowns. Okay. Those things should be if it's questionable. But a lot of times we're sticking with the the call on the field because we can't see anything. It's just like, when is Dean looking at it? When is he not looking at it? Nobody knows, right? The coaches on the field don't know. We don't really even know watching TV. We kind of see it. And then all of a sudden they put the side screen on and there's Dean looking at it. Right. But the coaches down there don't know. So they don't know if they need to use their challenge or not use their challenge. So that's the downfall between having that one challenge and having, you know, Dean up there. So, so they need to work that kink out a little bit. And I think they will, you know, that's the nice thing about leagues like this. You can change rules and stuff when you want to. So. Well, anything, there's growing pains. So I'm not going to dwell on those growing pains. They're going to have to continue to progress. Regardless if they had five games back in 2020, they got three weeks. They're going to, and Dean even said on this show when he was on the second time that they would reevaluate rules and make potential changes if they felt it was necessary, one, for the safety of a player, and two, if it was just vital to the game. So I, I won't get into it too much. So Absolutely. we know that they will take this serious if it's needed. But, yeah, I mean, this game, there's not a whole lot to really look at. I mean, I mean, to me, it just it seems pretty clear cut as you start going. One team needs to start performing offensively if they want to have a chance. And the other team, AJ and company, are just going to have to limit turnovers. I mean, because that's really where it's going to come down. They have the offensive production. And they are winning games. They are obviously very confident in themselves and their abilities, not in an arrogant way, but in just a confidence way. So unless Arlington can really bring their game and maybe Kyle Slaughter game two is just ready to take that next level, maybe it could happen. And same thing with Faro, you know, coming in in the mix as a running game, he started good games. Maybe we could see it, but at this point I I don't, because like you said, their offensive coordinator, and play calling, it's 
something's got to change. And so unless we see a significant shift this week, I think it's the Battle Hawks. Last but not least, game four. We have the 0-3 Vegas Vipers at the 3-0 DC Defenders. The nation's capital. What do you see happening? Well, I mean, this is going to, I don't think this is going to depend on it, but it's going to have an impact on the game is what is Brett Hundley's health, right? How, how is that like? Okay. And is he going to start? I mean, he could, you know, we could find out when the, when the depth charts come out uh, that maybe he's not starting, but we'll, we'll see here. So that's going to have an impact on the game for sure whether or not he starts and then, you know, how does it feel on that day? Right. I mean, can he move and can he do some things like that? DC, this is going to be the unfortunate aspect is we're going to have two and four teams. I think DC is going to run away with this too, as well. Unless Rod Woodson can pull a miracle out. I don't see them really challenging that defense enough and scoring enough points Whereas I think the defenders can control this game. And then, you know, played in Vegas the last weeks, played in front of a crowd, you know, a huge crowd. And I'm not saying 12, 13,000 is huge, but it's bigger and louder in DC and it's rowdier, right? Well, they just had 16,000 according to 16. The, so, so that's a pretty decent sized crowd. It's the second largest crowd yet. Absolutely. So hopefully they can pull in that again and, and support that team being a, you know, game, you know, hopefully attendance doesn't take a slight, you know, hit there. I think that that atmosphere, how you can't, it, it's going to be just like the battle Hawks. There's, you know, they're going to be charged up because of that atmosphere. And if they get a pick six going into the beer snake zone there again, I think, you know, they might explode that place. You know, I mean, that's it, the second, you know, I've seen two pick sixes go down to that end zone. So I just think the defenders are going to be too much and, and Jordan's going to do enough and they'll, you know, they'll sprinkle in King a little bit, probably for the rushing attack. But I don't, right now, Vegas hasn't shown me anything that says they even have a chance other than maybe a healthy Brett Hundley and he's not going to be 100%. Hamstrings linger. So they, they don't get better. They, he's going to be dealing with that all year long if he's out there. So, Oh, yeah. Those are not fun. I, I'm a former collegiate athlete, and uh, some things just don't go away. It's going to nag. You know, so he's he's probably going to play, I'm going to assume, because you know what? Most of these guys want to. It's always tough to tell a player they're not going to. So I'm going to assume he's going to be in. And I know that Coach Woodson and company know they need a win. So if he's telling them he wants to play, I think he's going to play. I think they're going to trust him. Now, whether he can go the full length of the game is a different thing. But here's the other thing. That defense is going to come at him. And he's going to have to use that hamstring. So... He better be prepared because he wants to play, and they're probably going to let him. It's coming. That defense is going to make him work for it. He's not going to have no pocket. You know, he's he ran, and that's what made him so successful and helped getting the points for the Vipers in game three. But he, it's coming, and I don't think he's going to be up for the challenge. 
Yeah, I think the defenders' defense and, and Greg Williams are going to smell blood in the water and just go after him until he proves that he can run outside of that and he can burn them with his legs and or making a couple throws downfield. But typically, you got to burn a blitz every once in a while with your legs. And if he is any inkling that he was at the end of this week's game, he's not going to be able to do that. And it's going to be unfortunate because he was looking good. And um, but he's not going to be able to just stand back there and sling it. You know, I don't think he's going to have enough time. But you know what? If he does, they got a chance. Then, if he can beat the blitz, you know, by throwing the ball and getting rid of it quickly, and and not you know throw you know turning it over and not getting hit over and over, I've we've seen quarterbacks do it. But I, I don't think that's likely right now. You got to have a pretty decent you know offensive line, and they got to be really good. And I just don't think they have that at this time. I can recall coaches, athletic trainers, right? We'll be talking about X, Y, and Z with an injury. Well, hey, you, you know, you just can't do X, Y, or Z or else it's going to you know, really flare up, whatever. Okay, well, I'll just tweak my game, right? I won't do X, Y, or Z. Well, you know what happens when it comes to game time? Your instincts take over and you don't play the way you were thinking you had to play it because that's not how you play. It's not how you think. That's not how you react. So Brent Hundley is going to play regardless, even, you know, if it's coming, his instinct's going to be, I got wheels. Regardless if your wheels are working the way they should or not. Yeah. I just think that's a potential recipe for disaster. That's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. I mean, so I, I just think the defenders are going to be too much at home here and, but you know what the nice thing is 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 we're gonna have we're gonna have another nice crowd for them, gonna have a nice crowd for the Battle Hawks game, and uh, you know so it's gonna it's gonna be a good you know Sunday if you're asking if you want to invite somebody new to the XFL I would I would invite them on Sunday to watch you know back to back games and see what they think then versus you know watching maybe the the games on Saturday but the games on Saturday will be they'll be good. But uh, obviously the atmospheres, I don't think are going to be quite what the DC and St. Louis is going to be on Sunday. So before we wrap things up, Mark, I have shared off air and I know I've shared previously on the show this weekend, week four, I've got a lot of traveling I got to do. So I don't know when it comes back to recap and review what I'm going to be able to share. I'm going to try to watch some things, but I'll be traveling back to New York at a bachelor party. So this is where I'm giving up my seats. Could you take some extra notes? Maybe a little bit further. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Fill in for my, my uh, inability to actually say anything. Probably. I can talk worthwhile. about this stuff all day, Michael. We'll be all right. Okay. I mean, it, definitely, I'm not short on words, so we'll 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 get through it. Definitely. All right. Well, I would appreciate that. So, once again, it's always a pleasure. I know you have my back, so it makes it even more worthwhile. Week week three is in the books. We just recap week four. You're getting yourself a little bit more interactions on 
the social media. So if you want to put yourself out there, so you can even get a little bit more this week than you got this past week. <laughs> Go ahead. Sure. My Twitter handles at Mark underscore Halbach. So it's at M A R K underscore H A L B A C H. Uh, hit me up. If you want to talk some football, uh, let me know if you agree or disagree with some of the things I say. And, you know, um, I don't get into, you know, back and forth. I respect people's opinions. But, you know, I'd like to hear and see if, uh, you know, some of the things I'm predicting or saying that are going to happen or did, you know, happen. Um, I've been pretty, I think I've been pretty spot on with some of the things, you know. Um, I said scoring would go up third and fourth week. I know these aren't rocket scientist things to, to talk about. I said Paxton Lynch can play. I said Brandon Silvers can be an MVP in this league if he's putting the right offense, running the air raid. So, I mean, I got, I got some things under my belt a little bit here, but uh, let me know if you think I'm wrong. If you think I'm right, it's always good to hear. You said that the Sea Dragons were the best 0-2 team and they delivered in a way that they were obviously the best 0-2 team because there's still two teams out there that are seeking a win. So, yes, but be nice. Don't banter with them too much. You know, we'd like to have them keep coming back to uh, discuss these games so you can fill in for where I can't. But thank you, Mark. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Take care, everybody. I look forward to discussing each week's games with Mark. I enjoy his analysis and can't wait to do it again. As I had previously mentioned, I will now be joined by XFL board founder and XFL Extra podcast host Mark Nelson to discuss the XFL situation with the Orlando Guardians and Quentin Dormady. Welcome, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss the XFL and the situation between the Orlando Guardians and Quinton Dormady. Well, it's uh, nice. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for welcoming me. It's a pleasure. I have actually always made it my purpose to connect the community. And you have always been on my list. I had just never gotten around to it. And then this event and your piece kind of got me intrigued and I'm like, you know what, what am, what am I waiting for? Let's reach out. Let's do it. So I'm glad that we've had this opportunity and we're able to make this happen on such a short notice. Great. Yeah. You know, the Quentin Dormandy situation, it, it kind of spiraled out of control uh, as far as I can tell. I mean, it started out as a tweet that Dormandy had been released and in that tweet, it implied that he had been released for sharing plays or team information with another team or another player. And interestingly enough, that tweet was eventually deleted because I think whoever, the person who sent it, realized that there was more to this story and that that this was not going to work well if they kept that tweet live. But the tweet had legs, and now it's been reproduced uh, that information has been reproduced rather incorrectly in a lot of media including some of the uh, larger media outlets have repeated that and in fact they've even said things like that Dormandy sold his playbook which is a complete fabrication and the fact is his playbook's on an, on an iPad and I guess he sold his iPad apparently that's what they're saying so my initial article on XFL board was to say that the XFL needs to get to the bottom of this because there's this is not going well for the player. Quentin Dormandy, a young player, 
trying to make his way in pro, pro football like we've seen. And I mean, like you've, Michael, you've got a podcast named after Player 54, which was The Rock's invention of how to describe these players, which is fantastic in my in my view. So here we have a Player 54, and he's now, it's, he's now, it's not the League of Opportunity for him anymore. It's the League of Shame. Is he at fault? Well, the XFL is getting to the bottom of this, and I do believe they will. But what I've been told is that the only information that Dormandy spoke of was that he was not going to play in week two. Now, this, this fact was actually revealed during the Orlando Guardians week one broadcast that the coach said he was going to go with Dormandy in week one as a, as to try out as a backup and then turn to DeAndre Francis, sorry, DeAndre Francois in week two, which is what they did. So this was not a secret. And this is the fact that Dormady revealed to another player, which I won't name. But I have actually had a message and, and cooperated with that player, and this is exactly what Dormady told him. Dormady didn't reveal any plays. He didn't give him a playbook or any of those other outrageous things that are being said about Dormady. So in my view... It needs to be settled, and I believe the XFL is going to do this. The XFL is going to resolve it. And the XFL has told, has said their statement, they're they're investigating it, so all well and good. Things, you know, things got out of hand. That's what happened with this situation. And there's something to be said about uh, the situation where all these players are in the hub. And there's a lot of them together, and there's a lot of talk and a lot of rumors and a lot of things go around. That is part of this XFL, what's happening. For me, there are several of issues with the situation as it has been presented, right? You know a little bit more. So obviously, I'm just looking at the presentation up to the point before today's interview. And players getting cut, it's common practice. So a player essentially just getting cut is not anything outside of the norm. So that's not part of the problem here. Well, my issues actually are, is going back to this hub. So my first issue is why are players rooming with someone that's not a member of their team? It seems like we could have had a little bit of foresight on this and made sure that if this situation that has been presented is a reality, which by the sounds of it, it is not, but we could have already eliminated that possibility from having people of opposite teams behind closed doors and essentially befriending one another and getting comfortable and whatnot. My second issue is how does a player getting cut equate to a player being completely removed by the league's website? And I mean, essentially statistics, like any involvement, like how did all of a sudden a team cut turn into an entire lead wide like you never were here we won't even acknowledge your existence that seemed very odd to me my third one is that why wasn't the league involved with the situation of his cut and removal from the website and to ensure that there was a proper protocol followed it seems like the league must have been a little bit more involved in their alluding to to this stage now that they're doing a formal investigation because he got removed from the league website. That's not a team 
operation. So these are my major concerns and the issues that I have with the information that has come out. I, I'm not saying you had the answers, but it's just like, do they seem fair? Or am I being unfair? No, I think you're you're absolutely right. Now the the uh, data being re- removed from the website, nobody has taken uh, responsibility for doing that. And what has been uh, thought, what has been talked about, was that somebody wanted needed to remove Dormady from the Guardians roster, and they deleted him, and which meant they deleted everything about him. They deleted him out of the system, which is kind of a mistake because. If you have a stat system and a player, let's say a player goes to the NFL and you delete them from a roster, you kind of want their stats, their XFL stats to remain because that's a record of what they did when they were in the league. So the idea of removing Dormady's, all of his data seems a little bit over the top. It seems punishing, like it seems like a punishment. And whether it was intended at that or whether it was a mistake, we don't know. And I don't think you'll ever get an answer for that one. But somebody somebody did it wrong. So they reinstated it. So they, I think the XFL sort of admitted it was wrong when they reinstated all the data. Who actually released Quentin Dormady? Well, I've been told through my source that he was never told he was released. And... There's a lot of weird things happened around this time that I can't corroborate, but I mean, things like his jersey number was given to another player. Like, <laughs> so you're gone. Someone else wanted number 12. Apparently, it was given away. Uh, I haven't been able to corroborate that, but this is what I've been told. So there was a lot of underhanded and weird things happening. I do not believe the league had control of any of this. I believe that the league, this will be part of the league's investigation on how this went. So just let me know where I'm wrong. I'm going to try to paraphrase from what I have previously read in your article, right? And this is also probably a little bit of what my mind's thinking. So just this, don't let me just sell this as a fact. You're here to correct me if I'm wrong. So please do. Sure. Yeah. You mentioned in your article, you know, multiple different things, which I thought was, right. you know, this is, this is great. Some ways actually, we've had so much pro XFL. And I know we all cover the XFL. You have a long history of it dating back to the first iteration. So mm-hmm. it's not, you have a lot of skin in the game, right? As much as anybody that is not on the payroll for the XFL, so to speak. You know, I know there's a lot of other people that are very invested with websites or podcasts, stuff, but you are invested with XFL board, your uh, XFL extra podcast, and even a book, which we'll get to here in a little bit. You are invested you, time, everything, resources, and you're still here you know, in 2023 doing it. So kudos. So don't let me ruin anything here for you. But you were mentioning the handling of this doesn't really follow what the XFL ownership have proclaimed since day one. Mm -hmm. This league is committed to its players. I agree with your assessment on this or that Dormady was proclaimed to be guilty as charged without the league's supposed involvement at this point, but now that they are, right? But the league must have been involved at some point because they had removed him from um, the website completely. Somebody did. Somebody did. Right. So regardless of the what the facts are, unfortunately, the damage to Dormandy and his image have been done. And it will be hard for that stigma that now is attached to him to go away. Therefore, 
of this accusation is rush punishment. And it may, you know, it's a, a big leap, but this could be the end of his playing career. If the stigma really sticks with him and he's not, it's not found to be otherwise. So despite the outcome of this investigation, somehow the league has managed in back-to-back weeks for one black eye and they give themselves the black eye on the other eye, you know, one with Cashman field. And then now here they are with the Quentin Dormady situation. How can the league save face from this moment? No, after back-to-back weeks, this particular situation, in your opinion, how can they save face? Well, they have to come clean totally and uh, they won't, but they need to at least uh, reinstate Dormady and say the accusations were not correct. They just need to say that. And, uh, that's the best they can do. But these, well, these things follow him around. Now go back to the USFL with Devion Smith, the running back and his release, um, which was really talked about. And the whole idea that he didn't want to eat the chicken salad, that he wanted to have the pizza. And then he got released. Well, I mean, I felt bad for Devion Smith. I mean, whatever happened, we ended up seeing one side of it and it was not, it was not actually that great for him. And of course, he was released from the league. Mind you, he's back in the X. He's with the XFL now, and it's he's back on the field and doing what he needs to do, and, and he has the opportunity to run that ball. So there are, there are possibilities for Dormandy to do the same, if, but he needs to be given the opportunity. Now, you look at this week. This is XFL week three, and Orlando is struggling. This is the kind of week when they might go to a backup quarterback. This is when things is the coach might want to change it. But Dormady is on the reserve list this week because he's under he's still under this investigation. So he won't play. This could be his opportunity week, but he won't play. So to maybe that's part of the damage that's being caused is that he his opportunities are now limited at this point in time. I'm glad that you mentioned the week three opportunity because in my last episode with Mark Hallback, I was talking about how I thought Dormady before all this came out, Dormady need to be the starter this week. Yeah. Only quarterback in the guardians who essentially never had the run support. Cause when we watched game one, Paxton Lynch had the initial run support of the team before they just completely stopped running the ball. And then when Dormady came in, obviously came in the second half, so he didn't have that run support. But then we got to see in game two where they ran the ball even more. And we see how Martin is leading the league in yards per carry. So mm-hmm. clearly the run is working for Orlando. They're just not committed enough to it. So I had said that even you look at Dormady's numbers in game one, they were pass heavy. So everyone knew the pass was coming. They weren't running the ball. So yes, Dormady had two picks. But essentially, they knew that that's what they were going to do 100%. But if he had some run support, he actually had some success, you know, getting a touchdown as well. I'm like, well, he would be, in my mind, the ideal guy to just, let's see what he's got. Well, then obviously this all came out. So I agree with you that this was his opportunity game. I think it would have been his opportunity game. But now being on the reserve list, and now that this situation has already happened, even if the league clears him of any wrongdoing, has the Guardians essentially ruined this partnership in any way that this is it's probably irreversible the trust is gone it's out the mm. window even if he comes back and he gets reinstated is he essentially just going to be qb3 
And it just, it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't help him anyway. So, I mean, and he was on the perfect team to have an opportunity to play because some teams are already starting two and oh, they're not going to make a change. Some of the teams, you know, like Arlington has Kyle Slaughter sitting on the bench and we all presume that he was going to be the starter anyway. So he's getting the start this weekend. Mm-hmm. So you start looking at what teams really have opportunity for him. Well, who's also going to take the trade because, well, there's got to be, you no. Know, there's all that, that adage of where there's smoke, there's fire. There must have been something, right? So even if they clear him of it, there's still going to be a stigma. I just, I'm unfortunately don't believe he's going to get a fair shot in the XFL here in 2023. I mean, it's unfortunate because I really thought this was his weekend as well. Yeah, you know, you could you could be right. So the idea, uh, in fact, it was Greg Parks on the XFL board who, uh, in the discussion forum, that pointed out that he thought Dormady's next move would be to be traded to another team. Like there's no, he basically saying there's no way Dormady's going to play for the Guardians after this. So, and then of course your point is who's going to take him? Who needs him? Well, that's that's another story, isn't it? I mean, there is a lot of competition between quarterbacks in this league this this year. It's quite remarkable, actually. And it's, you know what, it's fun to talk about in places like this, isn't it? Right. On podcasts and, and things like that. But it's hard for these players because they're battling for jobs and the quarterbacks are battling for jobs. I mean, Dormandy, well, I mean, I guess you could see him show up in the USFL. I mean, that might be the spot for him. Who knows? I don't think the XFL can cleanly just drop him, even if they find on you know that there wasn't wrongdoing mm. here. So that's going to have to take a request by Quentin Dormady himself, and it may be in his best interest. You're right, and that's it's sad because I did think you it, this was his weekend, and I was one of the guys that were clamoring for him to be QB one this week. So that's unfortunate because you know just it's so interesting that. For whatever reason, things just don't work out. I know that people say that any publicity is good publicity. Drama sometimes helps with that. That you know, that's when you're a real league. But I can't imagine in you know after week two for week three that this is good stuff this soon. It just it doesn't seem like a mm-hmm. I mean, for the league, especially after the Cashman situation, and uh, you know, it's especially the third iteration of a league that needs to get it right. And I think that's the most important thing here is that we are all fans of not just the three letters, but of football all year round. And we've been clamoring for what we wanted and we have this and it kind of feels like we're on third time's a charm. It's either going to work or it's not. And there won't be a fourth try if they Mm -hmm. don't get this right. And to have these kind of black eyes, so to speak, week two, and then heck in the off week between week two and week three, that quick, just it just doesn't seem like it sits well. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here. I'm trying to be a realist. Do you think that these black eyes are really going to hinder the league? Or do you think this is uh, part of growing pains? Kind of like, hey, obviously Danny and Dwayne have never owned a professional sports team, let alone a league. Maybe this is just kind of what they needed to kind of, for them to up their game and get it right. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I'd like to think that the, this XFL is going to go and uh, part of my dream of, of is seeing an XFL that'll actually last more than one season. It's something I dream about. So you know, let's do it. Let's do it, and let's let's you know, let's hopefully the ownerships and ownership group and Danny and and Dwayne Johnson and Redbird Capital and Gary Carnival. They hopefully they sort all this out. 
and get things on track and, and go. I mean, maybe in some ways the problems that we're talking about are minor that can be overcome. And you think about the problems that the first XFL had with negative publicity, negative media. This XFL doesn't quite have that. However, I, I always have to think back to XFL 2020 that did not have negative media and that somehow they kicked off and everything was wonderful. They had the viewership, they had the fans in the stands relatively so. Um, so this one seems a little bit off track. Is it so off track that it's not going to succeed? Well, I don't believe that. I believe that it's they're just doing it their way. In the book that I just published called XFL 2020 Rise and Fall, I cover a lot of this. And what that what the story of the XFL in 2020 was a league that was actually brought up without problems somehow. And compared to the XFL 2001, which was problem-filled, in 2020, Vince McMahon, the owner, he knew the formula and he applied it and he actually created this league and he hired – you know, he hired football professionals. He hired the best to staff that league, and it showed when the league kicked off. It showed. And, of course, coronavirus had to come along and kick the league down, which is the unfortunate thing. Otherwise, we'd be watching that league this year in its uh, fifth season, in my fourth season, I should say, which would have been wonderful. It would have been a totally different story. But it is what it is, and here we are. And I really think that it can be done. Now, when I talk about the League of Opportunity, that's so important for this league, and they really have to stand behind it. And I do believe they will. I do believe they are and they will. But, I mean, there's obviously a few speed bumps along the way here. Well, I wonder if some of that speed bump is first-time head coaches. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, opportunity yeah. doesn't just be for players. Obviously, coaching staff. It could be for executives. Now, obviously, we you know even going to look at the first woman to own a league, and let alone be the chairwoman of a you know major or we say major, but for Springs Football League, it's pretty important stuff. So they are ahead of their time in innovation and in some things. And as far as even what they're doing with minority coaches they are giving them the opportunities. So it doesn't even matter mm -hmm. if that mm -hmm. stigma of not having offensive coordinator or even head coaching experience, they did not let that hinder them. So they are a league of an opportunity there, but are some of these issues that we're probably seeing now with staffing, we saw coach Buckley's one interview there on the sideline, not saying it was overly bad, kind of throws his players under the bus without completely throwing them under the bus. But the reality is like, it just, we yeah. should have seen that with four rookie head coaches, we were bound to get one that wasn't just going to work, you know, yeah. right you know, from day one. Yeah. With Buckley's statement about the, he wanted a, a, a new, he wanted all new players. Um, well, he's new. So he probably didn't realize that he should have, shouldn't have said that. And so, so, okay. So he's new and he didn't mean it. Like he had, didn't fire all the, his entire team. So he was just, and of course it was an emotional response to what, what had been going on. So I give him all that credit, but I have to tell you that I had a chance to speak to somebody who was fairly high up in the XFL 2020 and they were actually mad at that, 
at Buckley doing that. They they basically said, and they're not involved in the league now, by the way, but they said if that happened in 2020, we would have fired that coach. Wow. Well, that's how important statements like that were to the people that ran the league in 2020. So, of course, we don't know what the leadership of 2023 XFL has said to Buckley about that. I'm sure there's been some words. I'm sure he's heard some words. Well, especially now with this situation, right? However, it's linked together, right? It's just too close. You're saying it on Sunday and then here midweek, we get this bombshell, whether it's a hundred percent true or not, doesn't matter. I mean, the reality is it's out there, but there is some truth to it because, you know, he was obviously removed from the league website. So we know just enough, but it's just when it's that linked within just a few days apart. Yeah. I would assume something has been said, but again, I don't know. I, but, well, yeah, you can assume that. I mean, I've I've heard lots of different things, but I'm I'm not really at liberty to say. Of course. Um, but I I think if the XFL does its job, they'll there'll probably be some changes to the Guardians. Well, in something you know, when we look back to 2020 with Winston Moss's LA Wildcats, yeah. he did make a shift pretty early in the game by what he, was his defensive coordinator, right? He fired Pepper Johnson. Yeah. That's in my book, by the way. <laughs> he fired Pepper Johnson, and he just kind of he took over Pepper Johnson's role, the defensive coordinator. And Pepper Johnson's made a statement, and he said, "I just stood back." Said I, he just wanted to take over my job, so I just stood back. And of course, that Winston Moss didn't like that because he thought he didn't believe Pepper Johnson was doing his job correctly or strongly enough. So. Well, this we could potentially see changes, and it may not just be with Coach Buck, but there could be some some shifts, you know, you know, down the the ladder, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. you know, a rung or two might get removed or replaced, and we'll just have to see how that plays out. Well, you, you know, the coaches get fired all the time. <laughs> this is it's sports. It just if you don't perform, then something there's a shakeup, right? That's not right. unusual. So, in the fact that. Uh, let's say it was the uh, we're talking about the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. Well, there's an ownership group right there that would fire people, right? Fire a coach, right? Well, in the XFL, there's one ownership group for all teams, so we know where it will come from. If it comes, we know where it'll come from. I mean, stand by. Who knows what'll happen? It'll be in maybe in next, your next podcast. You'll have something fresh to talk about. Well, definitely. This is a popcorn moment. People grab your bucket of popcorn, sit by because something <laughs> is coming. You know, I'm not trying to be a comedian, but this is that gif or those memes that are out there that people grab the popcorn because this is exactly the moment that that should be happening. Yeah. So grab your popcorn. Well, some, like, come on, something has to change for the Orlando Guardians. Well, we'll see what happens tomorrow's game. But Vegas has them has uh, them as eight point uh, losers in uh, tomorrow's game. So if Vegas is right, I mean. Or eight points. Maybe people should put their money on the Guardians tomorrow. I wouldn't. It's <laughs> uh, a, a little tough at this point to see something <laughs> that you would want to put money on. But yeah, it, it's a little rough. But yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's rough. So they're gonna, they're going to end up having to do something uh, in the guard unless the Guardians turn it around. Unless they turn it around, of course. It is early enough in the season. Only two games out of a ten-game regular season. So it they're not out of it. It just doesn't look likely that they'll get back into it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the reality is there have been slow teams to start elsewhere before, whether it's the National Football League or wherever, and somehow turned things back into where they've been, you know, the the Miami Dolphins there. 
they lost what seven in a row, and then they were just one game out of playoffs back in um, the twenty twenty one season. But I mean, right. like, there's some teams that you know can go on that, and then they can get on a roll. So like we'll have to see. It's not unheard of in sports, but if they can get themselves back into it, then all right. But we have to see something here shortly because it is a shortened season. You know, at some point, as I, was, I think I was talking about with my uh, contributor. He's like, well, what point is it that it's too late? He goes, well, I think after three weeks, there's no more time. It's time to get going. So, like, we're at week three. This might be their last give me to lose. But at some point, they're going to start stringing something. You got to at least get to five and five to have a a chance, right? I mean, wouldn't that be, like, mathematically the only thing that gives you a chance? Five and five. So, at some point. It seems pretty tight. Now, isn't Orlando Guardians in the South Division, right? Yes. Well, they're in with all the Texas teams. So, good luck with all that, you know? So they need at least five and five. You're right. So they, they five is the only thing mathematically. Need... Yeah, yeah. So good luck. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, but let's. Uh, you know, usually early on when I do these interviews, I kind of get into your backstory a little bit, and we're kind of a little behind on that. We jumped right into this. So why don't you go ahead and take a moment? I mentioned how you have as much involvement and skin in the game as some of these other people. Why don't you take a moment and go ahead and share with people? how invested in all the works that you have done tied to the XFL's brand since day one? Well, I first heard of the XFL when Vince McMahon stood up and said, hey, I'm going to build a football league. And I'm a football fan, and I'm also a website developer. And I said, you know what? I went online looking for XFL, you know, what's happening. And I said, you know what we need? We need a message board, and I can build one. Of course, back then, this is before Facebook, this is before Twitter and Reddit, anything. Message boards was it. So I built this board called xflboard.com, and it became a real central spot for people to discuss the league, and because it was the place, it was the only place. So it was very successful, and had a lot of followers and a lot of, a lot of discussion in there, a lot of non-league discussion. When the season started... I had a few fans in different markets that wanted to write for the site. So I let them, and they did, submitted articles. We posted them, and we ended up getting them media credentials in some markets. Uh, Birmingham was very amenable. So was Las Vegas at the time, and New York. So in New York, uh, there was a young lad by the name of Mike Mitchell who wanted to go and write about the – New York, New Jersey Hitman, because they had that double name at the time. So we got Mike Mitchell into the game, and then all, all of a sudden he's well, he's he's a football fan. That guy, he knows so much about football, about the players and the history. I mean, oh my God, I could never match the knowledge of that dude. And of course, back then he was writing in that way. He he knew everything. He knew all the players in their background. So we did that. The XFL season ended. And we had pretty good time in XFL board, but then Vince McMahon and NBC split, and and then the XFL folded. Vince McMahon had to fold up his tent, which was a sad day. And especially for the fans on that board, it was almost like a death in the family. It really was, because they were true fans. But of course, the media at the time was not fans of that league, and they really added to its demise. So... I still had the xflboard.com website, which became an archive with the articles and that were still there. And it was, it, it was dated because it was technology from the 
2000s, and of course things have changed on their web. In 2018, uh, very early in 2018, I got an email from Mike Mitchell telling me the XFL was coming back. And I'm like, who is this? Is this really Mike Mitchell from back then, that young guy? It was. And of course, so we got the website going and we dusted it off and Mike started writing art. He was the only one writing articles back then. He wrote all kinds of articles in 2018, 2019 about the XFL, what will make it work and, uh, you know, Oliver Luck and uh, being hired. And we reported on that and we brought back the board. Of course, the board is not quite the same now because there's far more medias, mediums out there to discuss uh, football and the XFL and Reddit and Twitter and, you know, Instagram and Facebook. I mean, it's, it's the whole landscape has changed, but the board is running and now, and it's still running right now. And, and it's got, it's got visitors. It's actually doing quite well, but it's an old school crowd talking about the XFL and very, very knowledgeable group in there. And I, any of the listeners, check it out, xflboard.com. Check out the discussion forum. See the kind of discussions that are going on and join up if you want to join in. Oh, you're always welcome. It is a welcoming place, I have to admit, as compared to some discussion mediums. I mean, so we're still going with the XFL. The XFL board is still going. The site prides itself in good reporting, player-friendly, player-centric reporting. We've done, there's been a whole lot of articles not on our site about players and, and what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, in the last two years, I wrote a book called XFL 2020 Rise and Fall. It describes the whole story of the XFL 2020 from 2018 to its going down with the coronavirus and it being purchased by the new ownership group. That's where the story sort of ends. Uh, this, I also included a chapter in there about XFL 2001 because the two are connected. Vince McMahon in 2001 decided he wanted to be a football league owner. And I commend him for all that. I mean, maybe a little bit crazy, but hey, no one ever said Vince McMahon was a sane man. And when it failed, it was a, one of the things that, that he realized it was one of the things that he could not control. He could not, I mean, he was so successful at so many things, but his football league idea, it just never worked for him. So this was rattling around in his brain for all those years. And when Charlie Ebersol filmed the documentary, uh, the 30 for 30 documentary about the XFL, at the final scene, Charlie Ebersol had his father and Vince McMahon at dinner and the older Ebersol asked Vince McMahon, would you ever want to do it again? And Vince McMahon answered, yes, I do. So, and that began XFL 2020. That's where it started in, in the picture that we see. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story. Yeah. So if you want to hear more about that, purchase my book, XFL 2020 Rise and Fall. It's available on Amazon. It's People have read it. They liked it. It's a thick book. As somebody pointed out, it's not a pamphlet. <laughs> it's 312 pages, Mike, with index. Um, yeah, it's a full book. So, yeah. For all it. disclosure, I went on Amazon last night and I purchased the hardcover. 
Oh well, I hope you. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you. I hope you don't think I'm a liar when you get it. Oh, I, you know, listen. <laughs> insights, right, with connections and whatnot, and then everyone has different opinions and viewpoints because. You know, I might have seen stuff from the stands at MetLife in 2020 as a season ticket holder, but that doesn't mean I right. saw everything from every viewpoint. And it gets interesting because not everyone's wrong and not everyone's right. And it's always intriguing to open up the discussion, which is why I'm a firm believer of bringing the community together. And I know some of the guests I bring on, everybody loves. And in it's nothing wrong. Like They could never say anything untruthful right, in the eyes of certain people. And then I could bring on other people like, I can't believe you would want to associate with so-and-so because they are never right. They just spew. But the reality is I think sometimes you got to bring the community together because that's what it takes for this to work beyond one season. I think it's going to take us all. We can't be alienating anybody. And maybe someone that doesn't seem to be right might have a couple things they're right about. So let's dig in there. And then the people that maybe are just wearing always a rose colored glasses and always talking about maybe this is not quite as rosy, but you know, I'm just the guy in between like, Hey, let's bring everyone together. Let's not try to go to our own corners and alienate anybody. And, you know, even with my slight affiliation with newsroom, I've never written an article. I just, they allow me to place my show on there, but I've been a firm believer that I've brought, obviously, yourself on now, but I've had Greg Parks on multiple times from board. I've had Mike Mitchell on from News Hub, you know, who originally started out at the board. Mm-hmm. And I've had, like, James Larson from Newsroom and stuff. But I'm a firm believer, it doesn't matter if there are other podcast hosts or whatever, it comes together. So I am intrigued, and I'm ready to read that book when I have it, and maybe I'll be reading it more on my flights back and forth to New York because I have a bachelor party and a wedding eventually I got to taken care of this mm-hmm. year in the middle of the season. Right. So hopefully it comes in time just so I could do that during those uh, flights and stays at the airport. But so I'm looking forward to it. So I'm not going to give you any, any bad feedback. I'm really intrigued to see what you have in there. And uh, the fact that it's, there's a lot means you didn't cut corners on it. So that's what I'm really looking forward to is that you're going to have plenty of information. You're not going to leave out anything that I would have potentially thought was important. So I'm really looking forward to it. So, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't read it, but I think other people should give it a shot as well. I just want to let you know that I'm not just saying it. I mean, you could probably see who purchases what. And But yeah, I made the purchase late last night. I'm like, you know what? Before I, you know, I might as well make the purchase before he gets on here. And uh, put my money or my mouth is if I'm a supporter of the community. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the hard hardcover. I didn't, ch- I didn't go on the paperback. I, I definitely got the hardcover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I appreciate that. I appreciate your, uh, your ideas and uh, that you're trying to bring the community together. I think that's very powerful and I think it's important. So I commend you for that. Well, thank you. But before we go, why don't you share about your podcast XFL extra a little bit? I know that you've doing Mm -hmm. that as well. And uh, I've listened to a few episodes here and there. I haven't been super loyal on it, but I'll be honest with you. It's, I find it intriguing. Uh, Obviously I just don't have as much time, my full-time job, my own podcast and trying to juggle a wedding that's coming up. So but why don't you tell everyone about uh, your podcast and kind of, you know, obviously it's about the XFL, but what the layout is kind of the, the approach so they can check that out if they're interested. XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. I've been hosting it since, oh, jeepers, I don't know when I started hosting it, but I'll tell you what, I'd never hosted a podcast before I did that one. 
I've interviewed a lot of players, a lot of players, players in this. There's, it's really fun with players. They like to tell their story. And uh, as you probably know, that sometimes you have to draw it out of them. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. But, I mean, they, they talk about their upbringing and their playing career and their families at times. is actually quite revealing. And I also had a chance to speak to some XFL personalities, especially in 2020. Uh, Dean Blandino had a nice, really good interview with him. You know, some, some of the power people in the league have actually committed to talk to me, which is surprising in some ways because it's hard to nail some of these folks down even especially with this XFL. I mean, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get another interview with Dean Blandino and I'm I'm really hitting a brick wall. So, um even though Dean said he would do it, it's a different XFL. So, I'll just I'll just put that um, in my in my back pocket. I'm uh, interviewing Greg Parks is a good guest. I think you've had him. I recommend you get him back because he's always got something really smart to say. I really appreciate him. The XFL Extra, hopefully to have some players on again soon and some other inter- some other guests such as uh, some XFL professionals, sort of like what you're doing. Sorry, some XFL experts, I should say, sort of like what you're doing and getting them to say their piece. You know, it's always fun, Mike, especially when you have somebody in your podcast, you can ask them, so what's going to happen this week? What What's your take on this week's games and put them on the spot? That's always fun. And it can be a laugh because, you know, no one really knows what's going to happen in this week's game. So <laughs> you can push someone to actually make a prediction, which I find is fun. It is. Uh, there's always some intriguing people. You know, some people are better interviews than others. Obviously, that's just what makes the world go around. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's always interesting because you really never know what you're going to get. Just because somebody has done other shows, whatever, it just kind of depends on what the week has been for them as well. So, but it's, I think that's, what's great in the podcast world is that no two interviews are ever the same. And that's what makes it intriguing. So when you're tuning in, you have to see where it's going to go. You can't just listen to the first five minutes and think it was either great or it's going to be bad. You got to stick, stick it out because some things are slow to warm up and then they get going and some things are hot out of the gate and they kind of die out. But that's, that's the beauty of a podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you're so submerged into this XFL world with your website, with XFL board. I'm glad that you're doing the book that you just wrote. I'm glad you're doing the podcast because you're into it as much as anyone, like I had said, and that is very respectful. And then I think it, anyone from within the community respects that. And if they're not, then I don't think they're being truthful with you. So but, you know, keep up the good work. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that we were able to have you come on, especially in a short notice to make this happen. So um, thank you for talking about the Orlando Guardians, Quentin Dormady, the XFL's approach with what's going on. And, you know, obviously we won't know how that really plays out probably here for probably a couple of weeks at least. I'm assuming they're going to take their time and do their due diligence at this point because, it, frankly, it's needed. But um, if you could, why don't you go ahead and share your social media handles and stuff that way if anyone wants to follow along the rest of this journey and whatever else you might have on the horizon tied to the XFL. Well, you'll find me on xflboard.com, uh, my articles, uh, social media for Mark Nelson. The number four Mark Nelson is my Twitter. And the XFL book, you can find that at XFL book on Twitter or on uh, a website, https 
xfl2020book.com. Well, perfect. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Mark's commitment to the XFL is second to none. We are fortunate to have him in such a short notice. Having the opportunity to get the latest information pertaining to the matter between the Orlando Guardians and Quentin Dormady is a treat. If you have not already, be sure to check out his work at XFL Board, XFL Extra Podcast, and his new book, XFL 2020, The Rise and Fall. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by football guru Greg James to discuss the XFL, his analysis, and viewpoint of the league's third iteration. For those of you who are not aware of Greg, his ties to football run deep. To provide some insight into his involvement and work, here are a few of his projects. From the 55-yard line, XFL InfoWars podcast, Gridiron Japan podcast, and many more. Welcome, Greg. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss the XFL and your thoughts on the third iteration. Well, hey, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. And greetings from Japan. And I have not, I well, except for the first week when I was on vacation down in the Southern Islands here, fortunately been able to watch the XFL. Yeah, I've got some thoughts and I've, it's, it's been enjoyable up here now to what we're going on week three. I've enjoyed what I've seen with the, with the new version of the XFL. You are somewhat of a controversial person on social media. Not everyone agrees with your point of view or how you share it. I believe it is important to bring the community together. I have always felt that way, and I'm going to continue to do it. So I reached out to get your take on the third iteration. Hopefully, we can discuss you know, a few important matters. You are a longtime alternative football supporter. I don't know if many people know that. So I think it's really important to kind of get your, you know, your background so the people know who you are, why you're here, and why they should continue listening after I just told them that you are somewhat of a controversial person. <laughs> well, actually, that's, I, that's a, I, in a way, that's a compliment for me. I, kind of, I like that. So let me just kind of lay it out here. So I'm 55. I am freshly retired. I'm a member of the Pro Football Researchers Association. I have a um, a sports history show on the Sports History Network called From the 55-Yard Line with Scott Adamson, who, like me, is older. We have seen these leaks come and go. He also wrote the book, uh, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football. It's a great book. Scott Adamson, look it up on Amazon. Scott's a great guy, great guy. But he's much like he's like me. He has seen all these leagues come and go. I also have, I also started Football America, which is just sit down. It's conversations with podcasters about just football, football fandom. I just recently uh, completed um, an interview that's been posted uh, with Tim Hanlon, who is, uh, when it comes to sports history, he has the uh, Good Seats Still Available podcast, which Honestly, if you have not listened to it, I know we're on your podcast here and I'm talking about my podcast, but when it comes to podcasts, I always like giving other people credit. And Tim is probably the reason why I'm doing the podcasting thing, because he puts so much love, care and effort. And he's, man, older, seen leaks come and go. And that's where his passion for sports, you know, started for all of us. It started when we were kids. So um, and so podcasting is just a way to kind of keep that 12 year old inside of us alive. 
And also, I started XFL Inter- InfoWars. And uh, so the title for that, okay, first off, I am not an Alex Jones fan. But back before he got bat crap crazy, he had the InfoWars. I used to listen to it. And again, we're talking like when he started going off on it was right before everything was a conspiracy, but he would have guests on and make you think it's like, okay, kind of cut through the BS. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, that, you know, just giving you reason to think, well, with everything that's going on with the third iteration of the XFL, um, how shall I say a lot of media outlets out there are, I don't think is critically looking at asking the, the hard questions like, uh, okay, so what's the marketing plan? So how are you going to put asses in seats? Explain away these ratings. And so to me, when I'm, I'm sitting down with my, and we just really just started our second, the plan for our, our, our show is, is just to look at the numbers, look at what's being said in the news and not by any of the XFL branded news sites, but by actually, you know, CBS sports by, you know, whatever we can find to, you know, discuss. So we just want to take a, a honest, critical eye for about 10 weeks as this thing rolls along and we'll, we'll see where we go with it. I mean, the big part of doing podcasting is, especially for me, now keep in mind, I'm in Japan. So after our conversation today, this will be the only English conversation I will have with anybody other than my wife. So <laughs> podcasting for me in Japan helps keep me one foot back at home 6,000 miles away across a vast ocean. So now in terms of me being controversial, um, you know, I support spring football. I always have. God, I I love the USFL when it came out. I mean, you know, prior to us recording, we shared our mutual love of the first iteration of the XFL. When yeah. And the when the World League of American football came out, now that's going even farther back. I was all I was in college when that came out. And very few people remember that that was a league started by the NFL. And so when I talk about the issues with spring football and when people are telling me, well, this is going to take off, this is going to be, you know, the rock, it's huge. I'm like, wait, well, wait a minute. The NFL could not get this to work back in the nineties. Give me more than, but the rock to explain away how it's going to succeed as we get deeper into the 21st century. And I, I understand people's passions and I understand people want to believe and I want to believe too, but I'm 55 years old. I spent 30 years as an intelligence officer with the Navy reserve, but also 30 years as a, as a probation officer doing investigations for the court. Okay, so I like I don't take anything at face value because having seen all these leagues fail, and I will argue with people about the second iteration of the XFL, it was doing a lot better, but there were troubling signs when the pandemic hit. But with that said, do I think the XFL 2.0 would still be around had not been for the pandemic? Probably because it was being very well run. It wasn't. It it wasn't to uh, quote you know the title of Brett Forrest's book. It wasn't turning into be a long bomb. It was a business entity, and I followed it every step of the way. I remember sitting there at my desk when they were live streaming, 
the team name unveilings. And I'm sitting there going, okay, well, that makes sense. That's a good idea. Hey, I'm a Roughnecks fan now because I grew up in the Love You Blue era. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm i a supporter of spring football. I just want people just to, you know, when people are saying, hey, it's going to succeed, let's, let's look at the facts first and then make the proclamations. I mean, there are, with the third iteration here now of the XFL, they're both good and bad signs. So. And also, too, I like doing my memes, too. And if people take offense at some a lot of my memes that I poke fun at the XFL, because there is a certain segment of the XFL fan base that is just basically fanatical. Actually, so fanatical, in fact, that somebody went into my personal Facebook account and grabbed a picture of a loved one and made a direct, I mean, posted. I'm like, okay, now that's taking fandom way too far. It was a South Park meme. And you and I both know South Park pretty much nails the the pulse of the country and can get, you know, through the eyes of little children can get the point across very well. And I thought what I posted was funny and other people did too, but there are certain people that just don't like, you know, just not finding the sense of humor. I'm not, well, I don't want the XFL to fail, but at the same time, I want people just to think because when it comes to these leagues, there's been expectations raised so high uh you know aaf remember when the aaf started and then boom it was gone the first it just the expectations for all these leagues have been so high and the fall has been so hard that you know i just don't want people this time around to just be left like going what the how did this happen so anyway that's it's a long spiel on my part but yeah that's how i feel man i've uh like I said, I'm an I'm a spring football fan, but I'm at the same time, you know, I'm also a huge Canadian football fan, and yeah, you know, being an American and being in the middle of that between XFL fans and CFL fans, and I think that's where a lot of people question my uh, whether or not I like spring football. So I thought it was important, so I reached out. Yeah, yeah no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We had a little exchange before this was coordinated to happen yeah and uh you even you sure you want to do that i'm like well we've been following each other for a while i know what i'm getting myself (laughs) into so (laughs) we're gonna go down this road greg right because i believe wholeheartedly there are two sides to every coin i believe there are truths in every story because it doesn't matter what happens between two people It's your story, my story, and then there's that third part that there's a version of the two coming together for the truth. Right. So I think sometimes it takes a conversation like this because we are seeing things and it's not as rosy as we saw 2020. Right. Right. I haven't really gotten into this on the show. So here we are. You know, by the time this airs, everyone, this will already come out after week three, but we're recording before week three plays. So, you know, it's we, we didn't quite meet my, my deadline to get that episode out. So the reality is we I would like to get into some of these things. One, if people can get into having a conversation about Cashman Field and there are no off limits for the XFL, then why can we not have the same conversation about attendance? television ratings and whatever else mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm a firm believer. So we're going to jump down this rabbit hole together. Okay. okay. 
So we'll start right with the recent, you know, launch. We knew there was an issue in Las Vegas. Yeah. We announced all the markets. And as we're announcing all the markets, seven of the markets had their stadiums announced. So we knew there was an issue with a venue in Vegas. Red flag number one, folks, if we really didn't think about it. Red flag number one. Mm -hmm. We continue to have that when's the schedule? When's the schedule? Wait, we're getting too close to the season. What's going on here? Well, it was very delayed because it still took a while to secure that venue. And then when we heard what it was going to be, there's a bunch of people out there. Well, it can't be the case. We can't be playing in a former minor league baseball stadium. Heck, there was a rumor of a high school football stadium. And then there was so blasphemy to even discuss the high school stadium. Okay. I've had my people or, or my critics come at me when I had a guest mention it on the show, a credentialed guest. So I don't get how we're surprised with anything else. It's not quite 2020. This cashman field, if you look at the field itself, has been a disaster. Right. And let's, let's, let's be real. Yeah. I was told yeah. that I wasn't real enough on social media about it, that I was trying to say something else. No, I was just trying to move on because plenty of other people had said it, but we'll discuss it. Right. So that's not their only mistake. It's not their only flag. Right. Here we continue mm-hmm. having issues. So why don't we kind of get into the things that you are a little bit more concerned with? You know, you talk about attendance. I, I've seen you kind of mention that out there and some people, you know, interact with some people. So why don't, why don't we look at the attendance? Give us your take on what you're seeing with 2023's attendance versus the iterations previously. Well, I tell you what. So, and this is going to be the smart ass in me coming out and saying this, but the XFL attendance for the first two weeks of the season, we're going to take San Antonio and, um, well, well, it's going to take San Antonio kind of out of it because that was, to me, that was your high. And San Antonio is a town that, if you remember the AAF, their first game, I think it was about 30,000 open up that season. And so that's a market. They've got a dome stadium. Hell, CFL played there. The CFL could have only dreamed of having crowds like that for when the San Antonio Texans played the one year they did. But those numbers for the other games, those are great arena league numbers. I mean, really, you think about the arena league, their attendance. I mean, most stadiums they have, you know, 10,000, that would be a packed house. But we're talking here about spring and markets that were in the XFL before. It just made me wonder going, okay, what happened here? I mean, to see all the excitement on social media, and I'm taking nothing away from social media, but that excitement has not translated into ticket sales. And so that's where I was caught off guard. I mean, I was disappointed. I'm like, oh, just that. It was just that, you know, hate saying this, but I mean, I've been down this road before, whether it's with, I was too young to remember the world football and for listeners who don't know about the were who, you know, again, I'm 55 and I'm approaching 60. So, but there's, it's, it's a history lesson that needs to be, that needs to be re- learned because there's a lot of lessons. But when the first USFL came out, that opening weekend, that first game with Washington and Chicago, you get 30,000 plus 
people into RFK Stadium on a rainy March day. So that's kind of where I'm coming from, my perspective. And also, too, I mean, you and I talked about this. We're both fans of the first XFL. We had decent-sized crowds show up for that first XFL week. Okay, so now here we are, fast forward, what, 22 years later. We've had the AAF that did decent crowds for their first opening. And again, I don't remember what the numbers were. And then you have the XFL, the second iteration, great crowds. Okay, so for me, I'm like, okay, what happened here? Where? Yeah, And again, that's something nobody's been able to explain as to, we don't know. We It just seems like there's a disconnect between what the PR spin is being put out by the league and what we see in front of us. So I, I, mean, I, hope, I hope that answered the question there. I'm Because uh, I'm, I'm still kind of left wondering. I don't know. I mean, I know there's excitement, but it's not translating into ticket sales right now. At least in those, I mean, St. Louis obviously is a different conversation. Well, right. I mean, there's there can be outliers in anything, yeah. right? There, one example doesn't set the table for everything. It can right. help carry a league if you have one or two that could potentially do that to keep you afloat for the time being. But right. you know, to kind of discuss this attendance thing, right? So I'm a season ticket holder for the Orlando Guardians. I was a season ticket holder for the New York Guardians when I lived back up in New York. I can see some similarities to big stadiums. MetLife was almost just shy of an 83,000-seat stadium. Why are you in that big of a stadium? Well, I kind of now get it, now looking at Cashman, why Vince McMahon was worried about playing in those venues because they're professional venues. The surface is going to be worthwhile playing on. You know, all the amenities. Yes, it was overly... It's practically the Coliseum, you know, and there's no yeah. reason to be in there for when you have 17,000 fans or even 14,000, like they were losing their attendance. Mm-hmm. So even in a market like New York, it couldn't crack 20. You're down, down here in Orlando and you're in a 60,000 seat stadium and you're essentially doing the same thing. You're not selling seats in one area to make sure it looks good on television or as good as you can get it. And you're only drawing 12. That's week two. You had an extra week to sell tickets. It's not week one. You know, it's so it's kind of what's going on here. And I, I can get into the environment. It's already different. I mean, I, I remember in 2020, there was just more for the fan to get from the game. I mean, there was times you could hear the interviews from the sideline like you would hear really? during the broadcast. Yeah, when I was in MetLife, I could hear them essentially through the PA system. I'm not saying every one of them, but we got some of those. Huh. So why not give us some more of that? I mean, maybe they didn't do that in each of the markets in 2020. So the, maybe they didn't even think about it. We got a little bit of that in New York. So, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, where's this innovation? You know, got a DJ going? That that's supposed to put it over the top. I mean, the fans we got merchandise late. Everyone's trying to buy stuff. Everyone's in line. I mean, heck, you make a big deal out of having a special beer, right? Every team has its own deal with some brewer. Sold mm-hmm. out by the first quarter. You didn't even have enough to supply twelve thousand people to drink beer throughout the game. It was sold out by the 
intermission between first and second quarter. This is why I reached out. It's not just why, you know, I, I see the different things happening online. Yeah. You know, there is things happening here. The merchandise is selling out quick. They're not prepared for the first game. What if they would have had 20 or 25, 30,000 fans? You didn't have enough to supply 12,000 people to buy right. beer, buy merchandise. We had extra lead up time. They bought the league in August of 2020. Yeah. Forget about the talks with the CFL, whatever the whole purpose of that was or was not. To me, that was a distraction. A I, I agree. Di- on both sides. Yeah. To, you to know, mask- sometimes. Sometimes where there's smoke, there could be fire. I've, you know, so I'm not, I mean, I I agree. I think mostly (laughs) it was a distraction trying to be like, hey, we're trying to do something here. We're going to at least try to, you know, see what has made this league stick around so long. I was thinking maybe there were some best business practices they were going to try to pick from there. You know, I kind of saw maybe there was a little bit of value there, but heck, desperation after the pandemic, I kind of thought, you know, there's a possibility the Canadian Football League is just like, hey, we might need to consider something in the XFL with Danny Dwayne and Redbird Capital could be just like, yeah, we got, we're invested in this now. We, we can't let this fail because it is the third time. I do think this is yeah. it folks. It's either yeah. going to stick or it's not. Right. I don't think it there's going to be a fourth launch. It is. It is. It's. And also too, and this is, you know, I'm a huge comic book fan and as you know, we're not on video, but if you can look over my shoulder, you can see my giant, shazam captain marvel collection of action figures again i'm 55 but you know brought parts of my childhood here to japan black adam failed it was a failure i mean i like the movie i don't know why it failed but financially it killed the dc universe so now we've got the rock and his people the league is not starting off the way i think all of us expected not the way Vince McMahon would have started. I mean, we can say what you will about Vince McMahon. This would not have happened under his watch. And we know that after he launched the second version of the league. Because that second version, everything was in place. They had less lead time. But yet, you know, like you you know, and I had talked about. But here we are. Again, merchant. Again, it just it boggles the mind almost. And in a way, it reminds me of dealing with the this. This is not what I expect to hear your story about what happened at the game. That's something I would expect during my time in Iraq when we weren't prepared there to do stuff. But here you had a league that had two years to get this thing up and running. And yet they're still, you know, and that's not even, we're not even talking. We haven't got even got to the Cashman field stuff yet. So they sold out of all the merchandise, huh? There was uh, somebody that I had brought with me, and he went to the first one. The lines were crazy, which is good. It shows yeah. that those that are in attendance actually are. doesn't matter the product that the Guardians were putting out there because we know they haven't looked good. Yeah, but you're going to have good teams, you're going to have bad teams. So I, I'm not sweating I, that, right? There's always yeah. going to be a top team. There's always going to be the middle of the road teams. There's always going to be the bottom feeder. Out of eight teams, it just happens to be the Guardians this time around. Okay, people, not sweating. But I'm just saying, despite the product that they were watching, yeah, they wanted the merchandise. So, I mean, they were invested enough not only to purchase a ticket to check it out. They're going to double down on their investment and buy shirts, hats, whatever. What else wasn't available? 
we're still waiting on jerseys. That's a 10-week season. That explains why I can't see an Orlando Guardians jersey in the background there of you, right? You got yeah, a New York I Guardians and a New York Hitman. Hitman, but, but I, I don't see a guard. I yeah. I would get one if there was one available, but unfortunately, that's the situation. We can't get those jerseys. So they're what are we missing? It's a 10 week season. Right. How many weeks well, got to go by? And, and to be fair, a lot of what you're saying, I know CFL fans complain about with the CFL about merchandising. Like, you know, I mean, uh, there are certain podcasters who are BC Lions fans that I don't agree much with, at least on the podcast side or whatever. But there's one thing that we've always come to an agreement on with the CFL. Hey, we live in the States. Where's the merchandise? I shouldn't have to. So, yeah, but this, man, it just, it's, man, it's frustrating. It's, I mean, I, uh, I've got my hats. I've got my shirts. I've got, you know, some other things, but there, it, it seems odd. It just seems like. Yeah, it does. Because in this, in the thing too, with this version of the XFL that I kind of get a little, for lack of a better term, if I can say pissy about is I see all this great stuff coming out from XFL PR about, you know, Danny's the first woman owner and the rock and this and that, but okay. Yeah, that's great. But where's my Jersey? Where's my mini helmet? Where is my fantasy football? Where, how come the app doesn't work? I can't get all this. I mean, just so many little things that it almost seems at times that we're you know, this is an old term from when I was growing up, but beating a dead horse on a lot of this because all of us, you know, we've said this time and time again, up until, and here we are. And I, I don't know. I don't know if this week it's going to get all resolved, if it's going to get resolved by week five. You know, so yeah, no, I just, I'm to hear, hear you say about what happened because you're the first person I've talked to who's had. Um, and we've got mutual friends who have been to games, but I haven't talked to, but you're the first person that I've talked to. It's been to an actual game and given me basically the, uh, you know, boots on the ground, uh, report back. Hey, what the hell is going on? And I'm here. From, and if that's happening in Orlando, then it's gotta be happening. You know, if they don't have this resolved in St. Louis by next week. I don't know. It's not going to look at social media is going to be interesting. Definitely going to be an interesting read on Twitter, but that's not going to be a good look for the league and the press and the for public opinion. If they don't have these issues resolved fully by week four, when all those fans in St. Louis show up, you got the 300 level is available, yeah. right? Yeah. They are approaching to come maybe open the 400 level. You know, it sounds like it could be crazy. It sounds like it could be over uh, 30,000 people. Yeah. So knowing they had the extra weeks, I hope they're prepared for that. But looking how some of the teams struggled to have their actual game day jerseys for media day when they were taking all the fo- images, some of the teams had to actually take pictures, and that's what's used in the promos leading up to the games. You can see it on broadcast. You can right. see it in the stadium where the Guardians are one of the teams. They had to wear their white practice jerseys. It's not their uniforms, right? They didn't have that for media day. They barely had them, obviously, before kickoff for the season. They still don't have it for the fans to purchase. So, again, I'm not going to – I do use the term 
beat a dead horse. I say it all the time. So my <laughs> listeners actually hear it. I'm, I'm 43. Maybe I'm more of an old soul than I than I realize. You know, I did grow up on a farm, so it probably maybe that's where that comes from. <laughs> but um, you know, it's I'm a realist. Yeah. I you know we can have ideals, what we would like right. to see happen, and strive for those. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. We you know I wouldn't be doing this show. If I wasn't fully committed to the X-Files, why it's not a hybrid show and nothing against anyone that is doing a hybrid show. You know, I I get it. Football. If you're a fan of football, you're a fan of football, but I wanted to make sure that this league that I had ties to my college days. Now we were talking earlier about how those are my college boys, you know, my teammates. I was, you know, Mm -hmm. I played soccer and, and we treated every game every weekend. Like it was a super, even those guys that didn't have much money, we found ways to make sure we had our adult beverage of choice, even if it was the cheap stuff and on a 30 pack, no but it, pizza, uh, you know, Keystone, but uh, I'm not, okay, not that's promoting. Good yeah. It's just even know, good. That's even better. We were, yeah, we were uh big Keystone people, but anyway, you know, pizza wings, whatever we could do just to, didn't matter. We were trying to, so I have fond memories. It didn't matter how crappy the first iteration went, you know, what people talking about, the antics and stuff. I didn't care. I had football, you know, and so this, it doesn't matter what the XFL logo looks like. I know it's changed now for a third time since this is the third iteration. I don't care. I yeah. have my ideas of what I like better than the other, but I mean, I don't care. Right. I have fond memories of the rocks saying, do you smell what the XFL is cooking when he came out? You know, I mean, it, he's even tied to the original XFL for me. So here we are. And we're talking about, this is it. This is the third iteration. There won't be a fourth. And, no, it, I, and some people are believe that, okay, there could be. I mean, listen, I, I think, you know, at some point, it doesn't matter if this is the first time with these guys, business people, just because they are successful individuals doesn't mean that all of their projects, all their entities are successful. Right. And not to get into name dropping, but I'll just say, we had a fairly recent president that had his fair share of bankruptcies and it didn't hinder him from being a successful businessman. And I know people use that term successful loosely in some aspects, but he's done quite well for himself just despite how many of his businesses had faltered. Well, Dwayne, Danny and Redbird are going to be okay. They got plenty of investments. They got plenty of money. That doesn't guarantee that this is going to make it. Right. So here we are. Let's let's be real about it. So we're talking about attendance. It's not looking good, right? We got a couple of teams. Okay, right? San Antonio. They could have given up with the AAF and whatever bad history. They had. And they came out. They showed up. They're trying to buy their merchandise. I saw a bunch of yeah. pictures. That's good. They're invested. They need more from this ownership, from the leadership. Not even ownership, but the people that are you know, Russ Brandon and all the other guys that are right. at the helm. We need to deliver. This this is go time. It should have been go time the week after the Super Bowl. But here here we are. It's go time. We need to get it and get it right really quick. Yeah. I mean, you hit, you know, I, I always use military analogies, but I just think of 2003 when we invaded Iraq and I'm sitting there as a young ensign, you know, hearing the plan and everything. I'm like, okay, now, okay, we go in. Then what? Okay. It, to me, it's kind of similar in a sense. Okay. So the XFL started up. We're going to start football. Okay, then what? Okay, so you, you got to get past the high. I mean, it's all about the fans and it's all about the players. And if you take care of the fans and if you take care of the players, 
success will follow. It's kind of the same thing as kind of the, the mantra in, in the military. You take care of your people, you take care, you, you plan well for the mission, success will follow, at least success should follow. But the players need to be taken care of first and foremost. And, and they are. They're getting paid. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read anything that says otherwise that we're, we're we don't have a situation like we had in the AAF. Correct. Okay. But the fans, let's talk about the fans. Okay. So you and I are both huge football fans. Over my shoulder basically is a shrine to the 70s when I grew up because when I became a football fan, I was 10 years old. We don't have a video game for the XFL. Well, we do actually. It's free to download at techmobile.org. There is a Techmo ver- version of the XFL. Shameless plug, but it's free to download. Uh, got one of my followers on XFL America created the game. Nice guy. Nice guy. Loves football. And again, one of those one of those fans out there you went, uh, that just loves the game that are so important to the league growing. Yeah, he wants to see it succeed. And he's doing it in his own way, trying to, to make and he's not doing it for pay. He just loves football. So he created another another version of Tech Mobile for the XFL because there was none out there. So we don't have the XFL coming out with a video game. Like you said, where are the jerseys, getting the hats. I mean, you've got this fan base here that you could grow. But as a business organization, it seems to me that they've been more focused on their own PR about them than the fans. We did see that with XFL 2.0. XFL 1.0, I don't, I mean, there was plenty of merchandise out there. There was an excess of merchandise. Well, we know that because after both leagues failed, it was clearance sale. There was a lot of merchandise, but this one, I, I don't know. I just, it bothers me. It just seems like they're more wrapped up in their own personas, the leadership. Hey, look how great we're doing. But yet, yeah, you can't get merchandise. They're running out of stuff. And, you know, <laughs> I don't I, know. It's, it, just, it, it just boggles me. I can't fathom what it is that held that up. Now, I understand this time around, they have a partner with Under Armour, right? Where last time around, somebody was the partner, but there was no logo, right? Somebody manufactured that. Yeah. And then eventually got like with 47 brand with hats and, you know, right. some apparel. And so I, I get it. They did do something, but right now it's Under Armour and maybe there's some supply chain issues. I don't know. But, I mean, it's it, it, very well possible in this day and age when we know that. Right. And so, I mean, let's, let's just go and give them the benefit of the doubt there, but it doesn't mean things don't have to get resolved. You're, you're you can't wait to the halfway point and start releasing some of this stuff. Like what's, what's going on? What can you do to help expedite it? Right. Got to do something because to have people in the stands, not wearing the extra jerseys and stuff. I mean, there's just too many just plain dressed people. And you know, it's, it's kind of, it's it, a it looks thing. like, it looks like how the, the NFL used to be. If you remember back in the eighties and the seventies before the light, the official licensing came out, you know, now you watch an NFL game and, everybody's got an officially licensed NFL jersey on, but you don't see Well, you don't even really see that at CFL games, but you see more, but again, yeah, what we're, oh man, just such a big opportunity. I think right now missed here in the first two weeks 
to really latch on and, and get latch on to the latch on to new fans. They've already got the old fans. I mean, we know who they are on social media. It's you know XFL or die. I'm, I'm an XFLer for life. I'm a lifelong XFL fan, which I still don't quite understand what that means because it was a season that only lasted a year and a half before. But that's a whole nother. That's just me looking at it, going, okay, well, all right, well then. Okay. All right. You know, you just, you read some, sometimes you read what people say and you know, they love football and they really want it to succeed, but it's like, there's such a belief in the XFL by fans and they're great fans that the XFL is screwing them over by not, but by not giving them what they've expected all these years. This is the version I think everybody has been waiting on. Well, 2.0 was the version everybody was waiting on, but but now they fumbled, you know, right out of the out of the gate in certain many aspects, and I think they can turn it around. Though I mean, with that with that said, I definitely think they can turn it around. But man, they they they've got hours to get this thing right now at this point. So I always try to be fair. I always try to look yeah. at the other side of the coin. Okay, right. so when we look at this attendance. What can it be? Let's say it's not ownership. Let's say it's not leadership's fumble. Okay. Right. Let's just and say I, and you're right. You're right. There are two sides to every story, and that's why I'm glad we're having this talk because I do see the other side of it too. What if it kind of just there's more? We might have lost a segment of people that may just have shifted now to the USFL. Tribalism is a real thing, right? And it's not just in sports. It's right. not just in politics. We see it with branding of clothing. Somebody is going to be Nike. Somebody's going to be Adidas. They are, it's so much into our culture of whoever we are. Under Armour, heck, you know, got to put the plug out there because that's the league partner, you know. Well, it's everywhere, man. It's pop, and, you know, we're not even talking about politics, but it's been politics. That's, I did it's, say it's, you know, oh, I, did, I, missed I, want, I, want, I wanted to rock by it because I don't want <laughs> yeah, to try to okay. dwell on it, you know, because, you know, that, that could go down a bad rabbit hole really quick. So, right. you know, just the reality is tribalism. So maybe we've lost X amount of people as far as I say we as a league because I'm invested yeah. as a podcast host into the right. league and that's what I cover. So maybe that's part of it. So it's maybe that's impacting attendance. Maybe it's just, a, you know what? It's failed twice. I'm out. I'm done. You know, maybe it's just like, you know, what? I, I don't care. You know, it's right. just, it's not going to make it right. Maybe these people are just like, it's not going to make it. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go anymore. So maybe right. now we're seeing that we didn't bring back all eight teams. So to compare Orlando to anything, you know, if it was New York, I don't know, would New York care enough? They were what 17 and 14, I think were the two games at home that they had for attendance, but they still drew more Orlando. You would think would have an appetite yeah. for something. They just don't have professional football, but you know, they did well in 20 uh, in 2001 with a rage. But again, that's 20 some years ago. Yeah. But I mean, so what's the flip side? What is it that caused it? Is it completely outside of ownership and leadership's hands? Is it just I, the market has shifted so much because there's more football? But I mean, there's now there's an abundance of arena leagues, right? Right. Now the world's more global anyway, right? We see with soccer fans, people won't even give the major league soccer a shot because they're following Premier League, La Liga, right. Bundesliga, Serie A. I mean, J League so over here. I I follow J League over here. So yeah, 
it just kind of gets yeah. to a point like is it that we're so saturated that now that's hindering it maybe i mean I, i'm not saying it is but what's the flip side well but either think, way the market yeah. has shifted and they should have so, been prepared for it right the market has shifted now so let's go back let's uh, multi so i'm looking when it comes to other factors i'm thinking here a couple things so between 2020 and 2023 how much have prices on everything gone up economics plays a huge role i mean just buying a ticket to anything it that's a huge expense and we're in different times now the world has shifted so much between 2020 and 2023 that it's going to take us a while still to sort all this out and i think that factor is in um, the tribalism with the USFL and the XFL, I don't see that playing in because most of these XFL teams are in. Oh, first of all, the USFL didn't. I mean, they're just right now still up until they play. It's still to me in a way. And, it, you know, with all due respect to our good friends who do the USFL podcast. For an older guy like me that grew up with the original league, that's not a reason. It's not, it has nothing to do with brand loyalty because right now the USFL, this is going to be the first year where they actually really kind of get an idea if they have a fan base outside of Birmingham because we don't know. And that's going to be interesting to figure out. So I don't think that plays into it, but I think that, you know, we've, let's face it, nobody's talking about the XFL and in the mainstream. I mean, I listen to Dan Patrick every day. There's been a passing reference to the XFL. It is being covered in some ways by the mainstream media. And so like when on Twitter, because when everybody's asleep in America, I'm awake here in Japan. And unfortunately, I got a lot of time on my hands right now. So I'm like growing through the news and seeing what's being reported and kind of kicking that out of my Twitter account to see what else is out there. What people are, it's really not, there's really not a whole lot of XFL coverage besides, you know, XFL Newsroom, XFL News Hub, XFL Board. Those are the main ones that are covering the league. But the way it's also being covered by, say, CBS Sports and NBC, they're focusing on the negative. Well, I also have a theory as to why we're not seeing the coverage from mainstream the way we would anticipate it. Because it, I think it does come back to tribalism. Because mm-hmm. Fox owns the USFL. So why would Fox Sports want to put any eggs in the XFL basket as far as covering it when they're worried about promoting their own league? Yeah. The NBC, Dan Patrick is a part of the Peacock family, mm-hmm. right? Because the show is they own broadcasting rights to the USFL. So yeah, that's a good point. They're That's not going to dive into it too much there. Right. This The landscape has shifted. The market has changed. Right. right. CBS is the um, unaffiliated, but were they flirting with Major League Football that quite didn't get off the ground? Are they kind of not getting in the XFL thing because they got maybe some other things in the works yeah. that they want to be affiliated with? Again, Things we know and things that we right. don't know impact the bigger picture. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know that's what I'm saying. Two two sides of every coin. 
And sometimes yeah. we don't know exactly what that other side is. We can speculate about it. Yeah. And the other frustrating part about news coverage is just getting digging down. Okay, so go. Let's go past NBC. NBC. But even at the local level, it's not really being. I mean, I I'm, I grew up in a small town, and my small town newspaper is still around. There's a lot of small town, you know, in these in these cities. Even the newspapers aren't really covering the league. Maybe there's a passing reference or something. So the media cover it just isn't there yet. Will it be there in a couple of years? Because the league, I think, is going to be around in a couple of years. I don't think we're going to see this thing go belly up after a year. There's just go going back to what we said. There's just too much money invested, and there's a lot of egos at stake too. That's the other part too. Oh, absolutely, a lot of e- a lot of egos at stake. But it's at that local level where I'm really, really interested as to how it's being covered. Now, being over here, obviously, I'm limited by what I can see. Like, especially on like the news broadcast at night, the local news, the local newspapers. I mean, I have not done a deep dive and maybe now next week when I've got a little bit less to do here, um, I can sit down and do a little bit of a deep dive, say with Vegas, uh, with, you know, Orlando, what the Orlando newspapers are saying, just, just to get an idea, because what I'm seeing right now, my very limited, narrow window here overseas the XFL is being covered, but there's just a lot of emphasis on the negative rather than, and there's, there's good stuff being put out by players, but you got to look for it. So here's my thing with local media. I keep coming back to this and it's like my default answer. The landscape has changed right again, because I'm going to use this as an example. The Buffalo news out of Buffalo, New York was purchased and they're moving all of its operations to Cleveland, even though they're going to keep selling newspapers in Buffalo. Are you kidding me? We know that small wow, or local newspapers are struggling. In Syracuse, oh, yeah. New York, the Post Standard is struggling to a point that they keep letting go journalists. It's yeah. harder and harder for them to keep covering stories. Now, I'm going to go to the television aspect here. I had Brian Salmon from the, C- uh, the NBC affiliate out of Las Vegas on my show. We were doing the lead up to the season to kind of get a feel for what was going on in Vegas, you know, with the knowledge, you know, who's aware of Vipers and whatnot. He told me his team has only two people in the sports. Imagine Vegas, how much that city has blown up as a sports landscape. They only have two people in their affiliate that are assigned to covering sports. You can't get much coverage. If you're the XFL, when the Raiders are in town, the Golden Knights are in, you know, you have the NFL, you have the NHL, you have the defending champion of the WNBA. And you I mean, like, you just keep coming. Yeah. There's just no way. Two people. It, that's insane. Yeah. Leading up to your season was the Pro Bowl. All of that. Yeah. Just think about all of that. So the landscape has shifted that even when you want the mom and pop news, not maybe the ESPN, the, you know, Fox Sports and, Right. Know, all those. Heck, NBC even lost its sports network. They they, they folded it. So yeah. you, you think about just how much has yeah. shifted compared to the lead up to 2020. And those entities were already shifting. But how much did the pandemic impact that? Right. How much has the pandemic impacted people now that are very focused on vaccinations and still not surrounding themselves because they feel like they're compromised health wise, that they don't want to be out in mass groups? Has that impacted attendance? 
Is that, you know, I'm just saying there's so yeah. many variables now. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, you know, I'm being fair on the flip side. Yeah, you are. I mean, you are being, I mean, that's, there's just so much and there's so much out there we don't know. And, you know, to about media coverage, let's face it. Now we live in a day and age where all of us, all of us has a news camera in our pocket. All of us, you and I, we have podcasts. We do reach out. We we're very, very, we we're, we're small voices in a very large ocean. But right now, when it comes to alternative football leagues, when it comes, even, even with the CFL, cause there's same issues apply up and what the media down here also apply up there with entertainments and everything with bell media and TSN. I mean, that's a whole nother subject, you know, unto itself, but it's guys like you and I, it's guys like it, you XFL news hub, XFL newsroom, XFL board. All of us are fans and we're all, we all have that spirit of carrying over that fan spirit into being basically the ones that now are covering the games that are are the news sources as to what's coming out because you're not like it's again two guys in vegas are covering sports for the nbc affiliate in a, a metropolitan area two million now it's it's really fallen on guys like us to, that do these podcasts that do these websites i write a blog i mean i write it i always say it's a stupid little blog but i i, I write something i'll kick it out on twitter Eh, maybe 50 people. I'm happy with that. I am very, I'm not, I don't look at clicks and everything. I look at them, but I don't like, oh, well, I need, no, no, I'm just, hey, that's nice. I got 50 people to read. That's awesome. But it's guys like us that are kind of carrying that torch that are covering these leagues. And fortunately, you do have with these alternative leagues, like the USFL, the XFL, and the CFL, they do at least recognize the work and effort that we're putting in because, you know, on my CFL America account, Randy Ambrosi follows me like, Oh, that's, that's interesting that the commissioner is following me. So it's nice. So, but yeah, going back to what you said, man, that the landscape has just changed. Uh, It's not like it was when we grew up. I mean, you're not that, I mean, 15, about 15 years, Oh God, about 12 years older than you. So, age wise we're still in that same but you know but way back when before i mean i lived in a house with no cable we had an antenna and uh but also tribalism talking about tribal i don't understand the tribalism part i don't i i'm not big on because well maybe i don't know i grew up in chicago i I grew up in the chicago area where i grew up both the Sox and a cubs fan because both teams sucked and (laughs) they're never gonna play each other so I don't know if, if tribalism plays in into with, with USFL versus XFL. And that one I don't understand because somebody posted on Facebook that I'm, today that I saw, oh, I'm not an X, I'm a, I, I want the XFL to fail. I'm a USFL fan. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I know my memes can really be edgy and they can make it, you know, people can read them and think I want the XFL to fail. I've never said I want the XFL to fail. I've just poked fun at maybe the fans for taking the football a little too seriously. Cause you know, Howard Cosell had a great line that uh, sports is the toy department of the news section. It really is. I mean, we, and it's the one area where we can all come together. doesn't matter what your race is. Doesn't matter what your nationality doesn't matter what your politics, man, when it comes to sports, we're all on the same page. I mean, I, 
hate the Packers. I love getting under the skin of Packer fans, but those same Packers I do respect. And those Packer fans are some of my best friends. So when I post a meme, I just put the truth out there. Everybody just take a deep breath, laugh a little bit. Okay, back to the debate. <laughs> Let's go back. Just don't. And the other part, too, is we haven't even talked about it, is streaming. Let's talk about streaming here, how we're consuming. The I was going to get into um, just viewership. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant, viewership. So we know that landscape is changing and just changing, 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 right? You start Everything started off, like you said, back in the day with a tenant. I grew up in a house where we did not have cable. Again, I grew up in a farm. We had our ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. Heck, we got a couple other like channels. One was out of Canada because I grew up in I was going to say, did you get a CBC feed? So I, I get sometimes, I, and there was this uh, some global something network. We used to get something. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We had like 12 <laughs> channels, and it wasn't all like what you'd see with ESPN and, right. and MTV and stuff. So we didn't have all that stuff. But, you know, the reality is so much has changed, right? You know, cable television became king, and then also now cable's falling off, dropping off. Networks are struggling, and now everything's going to streaming platforms. So to really know what the true viewership is, isn't as easy as it used to be. Like the Nielsen ratings would come out and you just knew there was no debating it. This is what we got. Well, right now you have all these other platforms. We understand that ESPN plus has about 24 million subscriptions. That doesn't mean 24. It doesn't guarantee that 24 million people are tuning into the XFL, but it does mean that there is an opportunity because every game is also available on ESPN plus. And I'll be honest with you. I'm a cable cutter. So I have my digital box that I pick up my ABC. I'll watch ABC game. I'll help with the the ratings there. But when it comes down to it's on FX or if it's on ESPN or ESPN2, I don't have those. I'm watching it on ESPN+. Plus. I am an ESPN Plus watcher. So there are people tuning in. We don't know. How long is it going to take? Are those numbers ever going to be released? We don't know. But. Let's get into the viewership. I, I don't have all of them in front of me because I'm just talking larger. Yeah. You know, we know I that we looked saw. At the, I haven't looked at the numbers since last night, right before I went to bed, just to get an idea. Uh, you know, and one number struck out of me, but we'll talk about that here in a sec. But we've seen some games at the 1.5, right, from opening weekend right. on uh, ABC. And I know we can get into what's good and what's not, right? We can get into the NFL numbers. A bad Sunday game is what in the threes, low fours. Typically, they get into the five, you know, million range for like a, a one o'clock game. But again, there's so many different games that, yes, they have a lot of viewers tuning into each of the games, but they could be anywhere in the three to five range. Right. So, I mean, NFL's king, though. I mean, we can strive and crave or wish and pray, whatever you want to say for those numbers. That's not realistic out of the gate, people. So, you know, we have to temper those expectations and kind of refocus and think, okay, what is it? But then we have the other numbers that are coming in, right? Some other games are coming in in the 500,000 range. So now we're at half a million. No, this is obviously no streaming numbers added to this. Right. If we even look back to 2020, we know these numbers are not on par with what we saw in 2020. But the question is, 
how many more have shifted to a streaming platform? Are they all lost? No, we just don't know how many viewers we have actually lost. I mean, as far as the XFL. I know that you have mentioned that you look at where they rate, you know, who's number one in that time slot, who's number yeah. two, 10, 25, where, whatever. I mean, there's so many cable, you know, stations that, yes, there's a long. So I get it. You were mentioned something at one point, I think, about the Housewives. Real Housewives. It did not beat the Real Housewives on Bravo, which, and again, maybe I read that wrong on my phone, but that number struck out at me going, okay. I mean, I'm happy to see that many people watching an XFL game, but then I'm looking at what's being above it. I'm like, okay. It's just, it's nothing to write home about, I guess, is I'm saying, and even there was another number. One of the games was right behind the 1 a.m. 1 a.m. edition of SportsCenter. Again, maybe I read it wrong, but just the numbers jumping out at me didn't scream. It just screamed to me, people are watching, but just not enough people are watching. I wonder to what extent the FX edition, you know, you have ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, then you have FX, and then you have ESPN+. Plus. I wonder if it kind of I hope it's not confusing people because I guess if you really are looking for it, you're going to find it. It's not that hard yeah, to go to the four yeah. different channels. So I don't want to come up with that as an excuse, but I kind of wonder, have they turned people off though too? You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, other, you know, it goes back to what you were saying too. The landscape has changed and you just said it yourself. You're a cord cutter. So a lot of everybody is going, I'm a cord cutter too. Well, I have to be because here in Japan, the internet and I've got a solid internet connection. It's 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 I've been I've been happy this whole conversation. We haven't had a glitch, but I live in Japan, one of the most technologically advanced. It's even internet's way better than in the states. Um, you know, I'm a cord cutter, but everybody's cutting the cords. So when it comes to those numbers on say ABC FX and that, well, again, look where we were three years ago. People were just starting to cut the cord. So now does that mean people are watching and and it's the unknown. Now I think when it comes to streaming and trying to get an idea of where the XFL at is with streaming, let's look at the CFL. Okay. The CFL is on ESPN plus. Now I don't know what those, I mean, I don't know off and I'd have, I'm sure there's somebody at one of my friends out there who probably could tell me this better than I could. But if we knew what the numbers were for the CFL this last year, that would give us a gauge as to where the XFL is. I think the numbers would be comparable to what the CFL drew, because again, it goes back to what you said. If you want to find, want to watch it, you'll find it. And I, when I think back, I can't tell you what the streaming numbers are. I can just tell you. If I remember correctly, I think in a, in the United States, the CFL draws something over a hundred thousand viewers when it's on like ESPN, ESPN two, whenever those games actually make it on, like right. even cable television. If we're comparing the XFL numbers from only the first couple of weeks, you know that's tough because we got to see if those numbers stick. Yeah. You no, know, do they drop off? Do they? increase it's kind of tough we've only got two weeks so we'll, we'll know more as the weeks go on but if you look at that obviously the xfl is doing 
better than the CFL. And that's yeah. not that's not that surprising because you know there's always stigmas, you know, with leagues, but same thing with a different brand of football for a right. football fan. So I mean there are some that are happily, you know, fans of it. Obviously you're an American, you know, follow the CFL. We know that Reed from the Marcast, he is a staunch um, supporter of the BC Lions. So, I mean, like, there, there are people out there. And, heck, I'll tune in. I'll watch it. It's football. It's yeah. a different variation of it. And I kind of even have a soft spot for the Elks. But, hey, that's just me. You know, <laughs> I don't know why. I just kind of have a soft spot. I'm not saying I'm, I'm a fan because I don't own any apparel. I'm not claiming I am. But I'm like, I have a soft spot. Hey, yeah. I like their logo. I kind of like that Cornelius is you know, up there playing and so, you know what I'm saying? I kind of have a salsa yeah. and I, I enjoy watching it when I, I'm like, Oh, there's a couple of games going on. That's the one I'm going to pick. So it just, I, I get it. They're doing better, but is it really better? Or is it just curiosity right now? Does that stick? So that's, well, that's my yeah. concern. Right. We don't know. We got to get a couple more weeks to see how these look, but the numbers don't quite match 2020. So that's a reality, but we are, transitioning with that landscape of broadcasting what that yeah. is with the streaming services because now you know we gotta think 2020 a lot of these streaming services are pretty much in its infancy right they weren't yeah. they weren't where where they are today and they're not yeah. going to be where they're going to be in the next five years either so oh, we God, know five that's years go- yeah five years from now how we i mean it's things are going to look so different i mean we're still going to have the basic you know you can watch your tv over the internet but how we do it I mean, the NBC's practice is, you know, virtual reality, you know, it's all become science fiction. And I'm a, uh, you know, again, I read a lot of science fiction as a kid, still do. And I still look at all this and I'm like, this was, this was all 2001, a space odyssey back when I was a kid, how we consume sports now. And um, it's just, it's amazing. But yeah, it goes back to what you were saying. We just don't know. We don't have enough sample size i mean we can't compare things to the usfl last year so you have compare you have some similar comparisons but we just don't know yet and also too the other thing that's going to factor in is man uh march madness is going to be starting you've got other sports baseball is going to start taking hold yeah we don't know until that kind of happens and I try to think back to 2020 and I, I know that the numbers weren't quite as strong as it had started with week one and two. Eventually it did tail, you know, start to tail off. I didn't get anywhere to where we're at right now. So, right. but again, how much is that? Okay. It's already, it's a stigma of it's failed twice, regardless well, of the pandemic, right. right. Was a major factor for 2.0. It doesn't matter, but there's some people I think we did lose. Because of that, they're just like, yeah. you know and, what? And, and, to be on, and to be honest, uh, to me, the XFL did not fail, even though I, I, I joke about it, you know, twice fail like, but you look at it, these, the XFL, the first, the two versions did not fail, fail. Vince quit. Because Ebersol. Because Ebersol. That was just people, nobody failed there. Everybody worked hard. Vince quit. I mean, Vince could have made it work, but I mean, that's, that's a whole, again, the landscape was so much different back then. And I'm sure there were business reasons, but then he comes back in 2020 and he makes it work. And then, you know, the world changed after five weeks and, you know, forces, I mean, it changed for all of us. So 
it wasn't, but yeah, it has that stigma of a twice failed league. And two, we saw what happened with the AAF. And, you know, I always consider the AAF a cousin of the XFL because that league was born out of the ideas from Charlie Ebersole's dad. Right. So, I mean, when you look at it, spring football is spring football. It's always going to have the yeah. stigmas of spring football because even the USFL had the stigmas that it failed back in the eighties, even though it's not really the same thing. Fox is doing something different, but it's the stigma of spring football that it just hasn't succeeded. And some people just don't believe it ever will. And, you know, unfortunately those are not the people you're trying to target, but is there enough of the other people? And I think that's where competition kind of starts to impact people a little bit. Cause if people are only certain means and they only can, contribute towards certain things like not everyone's going to have ESPN plus if they're a cable cutter, right? Are they mm-hmm. going to pay the money to pick up ESPN plus to watch the game? So if some, if it's not in the budget to pick up another net, you know, another streaming platform where right. Peacock might make more sense for somebody because they have their, you know, normal news they can watch on it, normal television shows, some sports, you know, where ESPN is not going to have your traditional yeah. news, your traditional. So, I mean, it kind of, yeah, it depends. If I you, get it. At some point and, there's going to be, hard decisions that families have to make. Yeah. And it's, and you know, too, you know, it goes back to talking about the younger fans. So you've got this younger fan base here. Okay. So mom and dad, I mean, if you're paying, I mean, I paid for ESPN plus and I live on a fixed budget now. Now I'm retired and have a pension. So I got to look, I mean, first thing I went through was, okay, what streaming services I had, which ones don't I need ESPN? I needed obviously, but there were other ones that went away, but, if you're a young kid who, if the XFL wants to attract young kids and fans, it's going to be hard being on streaming. They're going to need the over the air at some point. Um, and this is kind of where YouTube, I think, is important too to have these games probably available for replay for your younger. I mean, it just you don't want to lose the young fan base because you're going to end up like the CFL. That is and even baseball slowly dying because even now baseball they're starting to air free games on youtube now just that's kind of you know because they're losing fans and the cfl would be wise to put a lot of their games on on streaming services because people up there can't afford i mean it's tsn it's a cable package kind of same thing down here so a lot of decisions are going to be made because in order to to survive as a league, you need viewers and fans. Um, you the self promotion is not going to put asses in the seats. It's not going to get people to buy jerseys. It's not going to get people. Uh, but what will is a video game, and we've already talked about this. Maybe they've got one in the works. I don't know, but there isn't one now. But if you look at what Madden did with the NFL, I mean. I'm here in Japan and kids play man and there are NFL fans here. It's a small, very, very small, but it's growing. I mean, my brother-in-law who's in his fifties now grew up, you know, knew about football, NFL football, because he played it on Sega back in the day. And I just think there's just so many things that need to happen that should happen that would help spring football survive no matter if it's the xfl or usfl i just don't know if the suits that are running a lot of these things have that foresight Uh, maybe they do maybe they don't and a lot of these things that we're talking about with spring ball 
are the same frustrations we talk amongst Canadian football fans. You know, how do we, you know, look at Toronto? I mean, Toronto should that they only get like 12,000 filling a stadium with only 12,000 people in, in a metropolitan mayor in the biggest metropolitan area in Canada. It's just, it boggle in again, they make the same mistakes up here that the XFL is making now. So kind of long winded on that, but that's just, I know. Yeah. I just, and then, you know, we haven't even talked about Cashman field. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of got into that with Mark Hallbach and obviously episode 67, we touched on it because, you know, the, they limited themselves one so much by when they made that decision. I, I get at some point they didn't want to spend the big money, whatever Davis wasn't going to be the accommodating with Allegiant field there, but that's kind of the problem with announcing where you're placing a team before you have a venue secured. I mean, that's, yeah, kind of, that would be like sh- number very one. Short-sighted. Yeah. You yeah, should have had that. Have, yeah. Unless you have a, okay. So let's just say, okay. Let's just say hypothetically, they said, it's going to be the California Vipers. Okay, well that narrow that that gives you a lot of wiggle room. But when you're saying you're going to Vegas as the Vipers, mm, yeah, you're really locking your you're you're really narrowing the choices down. Which um, which I don't again I don't I mean Vegas obviously is right down this I mean right down the road from California. It just kind of again bad decision, and I think they know it. So they got to try to 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 make the best of a bad situation, but um, putting a team in an abandoned minor league ballpark was not a good look. Made it feel very rinky dink, for lack of a better term. And yeah, I had know, nine thousand three hundred thirty four fixed seats. Yeah, yeah. You could have brought intent- in some temporary seating if you really wanted to, but right. the reality is they announced it so late that they were so yeah. far behind collecting uh, season ticket deposits. And they couldn't release single game tickets until they had a good feeling for how many season ticket holders they had. So that really delayed it even more so. I think they had about a week or so before they finally started selling single game tickets. And they drew 6,000 something, right? That's what was announced. 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 But you and I both know watching the game, there wasn't 6,000 people at that park. I've been to minor league parks. That was not a six. But again, announced, you know, as Dave explained on the InfoWars show, because I didn't really know how they how they do with ticket attendance and announce up until I sat down with them yesterday. I mean, I was kind of ignorant of that. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, they had all these tickets already allotted for somebody, and so that's the number they're using. If it's sold, if they don't show up, doesn't matter. And professional sports has been known to do this for quite some time. How many times have you been watching something on television? And they're like, we have a sellout crowd and you see empty seats. You're like, that's not sold out. As a kid growing up in Chicago, watching uh, the afternoon games at Wrigley Field, Jack Brickhouse would do the an- announced attendance. And you're looking at it. There's no way there's that many people in that stadium because the stadium was empty. But it was like, yeah, we've got 10,000 here. I'm like, really? That that doesn't look like 10,000. So, Yeah they kind of did that to themselves. They handcuffed themselves with attendance there and okay. It is what it is. And, but the worst part about it was the field conditions. Yeah. You can't take those images out of people's minds and you can't get that off 
the digital imprint that's now out there circulating for any network that may not be your friend is now going to use that as, you know, a black eye for the league. Yeah. And it's just, it's anyone that has seen it, you can't look at, I mean, those tire marks right through the center, like what happened? <laughs> yeah. Wait, this is a league of innovation. Right. That's what they keep telling us, right? They keep talking about how they put the player first and everything they've done to make sure for safety and blah, blah, blah. Well, that didn't look like in a, like an innovative field. It didn't look like a field that was designed for anything to do with player safety. We had a, it was rutted up. They had to patch it. The, they painted it. We saw all the images all over social media mm-hmm. from the company they hired to come in and spray paint it green because it was brown grass. Yeah. And then it rains on top of it. And here's the thing. That forecast, I live in Florida. Right? I, mean, I watch national news right how we've had all these storms coming in yeah it was rainstorms it's been snow whether it's been whatever just cold i knew that storm was gonna hit vegas they were talking about it in the days leading up and i live in southwest florida how did they not know what was coming when they were deciding to paint the field yeah they yeah. consider postponing it did they not consider rescheduling it somehow i mean like just we've seen other sports leagues do it i mean i can't tell you how many times i watch a baseball game and they'll just all right it's postponed for tonight they're not gonna play it they'll leave the tarps on all night the rain's not gonna stop right i mean if you you just painted it and then rain on top of paint is gonna make it super slick yeah well and they could have used that out because actually you know if you remember the u.s uh not the usfl the nfl used that out when they canceled the the pro bowl game a few years ago i think it was when brett Favre got um, and actually, I, I was actually at that field like a few weeks before at the Hall of Fame. Um, so I, I just remember that. But they canceled it because, again, field issues. There was, I mean, because of player safety. Now, with that said, would that announcement have only done more damage? Because now, I mean, it just did. It, uh, it was almost like they were in a damned if they do, damned if they don't. They're like, just freaking play it. Because at this point, and maybe that was the thought process going well, if we cancel it, that's not a good look at all. And we don't have, because they're still going to, the field still, people are still going to be able to see that field. Well, right. They're going to see the pictures of this point. Yeah. Yeah. If they postpone it, they're still going to see how bad the pit, the field looks in an image. Like, oh yeah, it looks rough. But you're right. Because what else comes from the postponement? They weren't going to draw well, right? I could see that being the next headline. They are actually not drawing well. They can't even put people in the seats in a minor league baseball stadium. That not necessarily true. I think the weather probably hindered some walk-up sale, uh, or whoever might have had a oh, ticket yeah. and said, "You know, yeah. okay, they go." So maybe maybe they would have had six thousand, but even the people that had tickets didn't all show up. But they probably could have picked up a couple more walk-up sales. I don't know what it would have been. But either way, it didn't work out anyway. Right. But have you talked to anybody who's been to the game? Uh, I haven't talked to him in person. No. Okay. I, I've, I've XFL Jim. Of... I know XFL Jim was at the game. I uh, put something up. I haven't watched it, but I know he was at the game. It'd be interesting to get his perspective as to. Uh, I know a couple really people. Was. I know uh, Jason Spurgeon from the X Fan Show. He was oh, yeah. uh, in, in attendance. I mean, there's some people I, I have contact with, but okay. I have not really. Jason's a good guy. Yeah, I haven't really you know, jumped into that, but from what I had listened, because they have 
their show three times a week. I was watching yeah. this more. Uh, well, I say this morning, this uh, during lunchtime, my lunchtime, and they were talking about how he enjoyed the environment. So it sounds like his interactions with whoever else was there and everything, it was positive. He wasn't talking about the field conditions, though, which obviously, right. are, you know, but he talked about the experience there was his favorite one yet. And he had already been to Arlington. He had already been to San Antonio. Uh, he went to Seattle on Thursday night, and then that was his fourth game. So that, that he had been to quite a few. For him to say that was wow. his favorite, you know, environment, it's interesting because it, that's something a lot of people are not talking about. And, well, uh, yeah. you know, it would be yeah. nice to probably bring him on and kind of get maybe some further details yeah, of what that is. I mean, because he can compare and contrast, and he can tell you. I mean, it's – but, like, for all of us, I mean, we experience it through the television and what we see. Yeah, visually, not a good look at all. And, um, yeah, the player safety, too. Slick field. I mean, when I was in high school, I played on better high school fields um, than, than than what that showed on TV. And, two, it was in the middle of a monsoon. Uh, technically, it's a monsoon this time of year. But, anyway, desert storms and the rain are the worst because they, they just are. Drainage-wise cold i mean i don't want to forget what the temperature was but it just it's not it's not it's not comfortable as a fan to sit out there and in that when you're playing in a stadium an open air stadium that you know in an area that usually never gets rain i mean the odds of getting a storm like that are really small and they just it was a per, literally a perfect storm for the xfl when it came to the vipers if something can go wrong Sometimes it just goes wrong. Yeah. Well, if you remember, you know, it wasn't as well. If you remember, there was a picture with the first XFL when the blimp with the XFL logo crashed. Oh. Wasn't that it wasn't that foreboding, but it wasn't like, oh, no, this doesn't look good. This is not a good look. Yeah. Bad look, bad vibes. And it didn't help that social media kind of ran with it. And I think that's why I just didn't go with it because enough other people did. Right. Hey, I was right. I went with it too, to a certain degree. I mean, yeah, the field looked like shit. That was pretty much my consensus. And I, it's you don't good. need to, yeah, I mean, that's, it's true. It, it looked like shit, but I still watched the game. I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm, when I was a kid, half the NFL played in ballparks, baseball parks. And if you ever watched any, you know, a game out of Baltimore when the Colts played at Memorial Field, they played on a, it was all dirt. So to me, okay, you know, it's football, play the game. Other people, again, social media latches on these things and uh, it's an echo chamber at times. XFL, and, and you know what? I'd rather have the XFL echo chamber than what's happening in the real world around us because Absolutely. You know what? Because it's just, it's fun to interact. It's for me, it's fun to post memes sometimes to get a reaction, get a rise. And if I piss somebody off, you know what? You're taking your sport just a little too seriously. But then at the same time with social XFL social media, and this is going back to what I was saying about it's for the XFL to survive. It needs us as, as, as fans. And, but it's us fans that are, are covering the game that are writing the articles that are putting the, you know, I got XFL news hub up here right now. That's putting in the time effort and money to try to make a go of, of covering the league because nobody else is nobody else in the media is covering. And so, you know, read Mark, 
Stefan, you guys, you guys do a great job of doing what, you know, Main Street Media will not do. So, um, and anybody who writes a little blog does a podcast. I mean, we do all this for nothing. I mean, this caught, I mean, we're not making any money off of this. I know I'm not. Um, I do it for the love of the game as, as the tagline goes. I have a sponsor football. Yeah. I have a sponsor for all transparency, but guys, but I clearly still have a day job for a reason. All right. So it's, 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 you know, for whatever else I'm doing, you know, there might be money, but it's, it's not what people think. And it's, well, it's paying the bills. It's what it is. It's you need a Barbie. I'm sorry. I'd say it helps to subsidize exactly the the expenses, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, well, it's interesting too. So my, um, you know, talking about the changing landscape, just a little digress. So, you know, my brother-in-law is Ian Russell. He has the full custom garage. Uh, it wasn't, it's on the motor and trend channel. Well, he is now transitioned to YouTube. And so again, the landscape is changing and, you know, God love my sister and my brother-in-law and, but YouTube podcast, I mean, it's now on us. And so we, we actually all have the power to, to make this league go fail, you know, buy tickets, tune in, but it goes to kind of what you said right now, the numbers aren't there to, you know, the numbers aren't there as to what we hope they were. And that's kind of the frustrating part. Well, is there anything we did not dive into or touch base on that you think was kind of important to kind of touch base on at this point in the season? I think we're, I think right now the jury is still out. We don't know the numbers. We don't have a large enough sample size, but as we approach, we're in March now, other things are going to start happening. You got with other sports, you've got college basketball. That's going to really be ramping up with, with the final four. You've got Major League Baseball opening pitch is coming at, you know, opening day is coming at the end of the month. NBA, NHL playoffs. I think now these next several weeks are going to be crucial for the league as to how season one is viewed as a success or failure. There's going to be a season two. I'm hoping there's going to be a season three. Let's hope there's this. I mean, season four, I think we're too early to even think about talking about a season four, but they know what they need to do to fix the problems that we, all of us can see. It's up to the league. I mean, we're, we're the, the fans are doing what the fans should be doing. And we're trying to buy the ticket. We're buying the tickets, trying to buy the merchandise and we're tuning in and talking about it on social media. The front office needs to step up and fix the problems that the world can see. And they do that then then we won't be having these conversations say you know this time next year during after week two of season two you know they say you can't make a first impression again even though for some reason there's been three iterations there's been three <laughs> first impressions but <laughs> yes at some point this the first impression is what sticks you know that's yeah. what lasts with some people that's why they either stick around because they enjoyed it or they walk away because they did not and right so i mean at this point there's only gonna be so many more first impressions that somebody's gonna tune in they, they got to get it right yeah. so I and mean, it's, with, that's what yeah. it is 
And with that said, the USFL is taking notes as we speak as to what they're seeing and not how, you know, they're not going to make the same mistakes that, that the, uh, the XFL made. And, uh, when that season starts and that's the other part too, that, that, that's also going to come into viewership when the USFL starts, because there's only so much football you can watch. That's absolutely going to be another interesting thing to keep an eye on. It's definitely something that hopefully they're preparing and they're building viewership before that happens, before it keeps dwindling, because there will be some people are going to have to make a choice because there's going to be a lot of football and not all of it's going to be watched, especially if there's games on at the same time. So, you know, I appreciate you taking the time out of your Oh, you're welcome. Crazy schedule. I've, I've enjoyed Japan. this. This has been nice today. This has been a nice way to start my day off over here. And uh, you know, you were waiting on your coffee, so hopefully we can get you. No, no, no. We'll get. We'll get. There. It's only ten in the morning. The sun's out, and yeah, life's good, man. I'm not complaining. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you again real soon too. Uh, we'll be definitely talking more football and definitely getting to know you because it's always that's a great part about doing podcasts and the Twitter. You know. I have pissed off people on Twitter that I'm like best, best friends with now. So it's just, it's nice to have conversations rather than tweet comments back, snarky comments back and forth and like, Oh, I hope we didn't take it out of context. I didn't mean it. You know, you always worry about what you're saying, getting taken out of context on social media. We, a text, it's always tough because it's how you're reading it. It's not how it was intended. Like the, the way that we would actually say it with, with intent, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like sometimes you could say it with just kind of a different voice and it could kind of come out, you know, tone, yeah, the voice tone, all yeah, that, it's, yeah. it's all, it's all about tone. So, you know I mean? When you reached out to me, I was, I was happy. It's like, we got a little back and forth. I'm like, okay, he gets, it's like, you know, they have, I and mean, we've been talking a while now, almost God. Yeah. My fiance is probably going to, Oh, keep, dude, keep, give dude. it to me a little bit, but anyway, it always happens oh, this way. Man. People don't well, worry. I have been married going on 27 years, so just trust me. I mean, if she knows you're down talking to dudes about football, that's okay because you're talking to dudes about football. Right. It's when you're, you know, it's just trust me. My wife's like the same thing. It's like, oh, you're talking football? No problem. You're, I know where you're at. I can kind of, I don't have to worry about you. Well, Greg, before you run, why don't you go ahead and give yourself a little plug again for what you got going on and where people could follow you if they want to tune into some of your work. Okay. Okay. So the podcast that started off for me is from the 55 yard line. It's on the sports history network. Just type in from the 55 yard line on any podcast, you know, any search engine. It's me and Scott Adamson, uh, just talking Canadian football, football history in general. Um, I have Football America, I'm sorry, Gridiron America, that is on CFL America Radio, XFL America Radio, and USA. I've, Anchor is a wonderful place with podcasts because you can, it's all, doesn't cost a dime. So I've got, <coughs> excuse me again, I've got CFL America Radio, XFL America Radio, USFL America Radio, and Gridiron America Radio. And we just started up, me and Dave Selinski, we started up XFL Info Wars. We just put out, really, there's two episodes out, but yesterday's episode is really the first one because it was him and I got tired of talking 
I did the beta episode. I'm like, uh, hearing myself talk for 20 minutes. No, I can I can need somebody. I need to have dialogue. So we did one yesterday. So if you go online, it's at XFL Infowars. Uh, it should pop right up. And then also too, here in Japan, we have the Gridiron Japan podcast. And it's with BJ Beattie, who is a former player with the Obic Seagulls, who was also a star at the at, at Colorado University. And John Gunning, who is a reporter for the Japan Times, and uh, he is uh, well-known in sumo. He's a sumo commentator here for NHK, the national broadcaster. And in terms of Twitter, go back to what I said, CFL America, XFL America, USFL America, and America Gridiron. So that's where you can find me. I'm sorry. It's kind of long and drawn out. So. But it's all good. You got a lot going on. So I got a lot going on. And I tell you what, for those who, you know, I'm retired, so I have a lot of time. So I can dive into my football passion now that, you know, I couldn't a year ago as I was ramping up to to move to Japan to retire and everything. So it's been fun. It's been fun. It's <clears throat> but I enjoy doing it. I enjoy talking to you. And uh I'm looking forward to more conversations. And you know, we've got mutual friends too, so that really helps. Well, I would like to touch base later in the season to kind of get a vibe of where things are with the XFL, maybe even in Japan. You know, maybe it might take a week or two before some people, maybe a segment of the population even is aware of it. So, you know, it's all too soon now, but we'll see maybe if there is a global presence that the Rock and Danny have so fondly spoken of for quite some time but that's gonna be a discussion for another day that'll give me a reason good, to reach man. back out okay oh yeah definitely we'll definitely um we'll xfl info wars we'll be definitely uh having you on there as uh as as, as a guest because uh we'll look forward to it to, we love talking i love talking football and uh that's what keeps all of us young great well if you want to go get that coffee here's your time so i appreciate it thank you all right, buddy. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I am certain some people, perhaps even listeners of this show, are surprised I invited Greg onto the show. Since day one, I have believed it is important to bring the community together. Despite our differences, we are football fans. Like any league or team, there are different types of people among the fan bases. If the XFL is to survive, it will take every single fan and more to have a second, third, and fourth season. Listening to everyone and understanding their point of view is important and something the league must take into consideration if it wants to continue operating. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. 
Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.